You're listening to episode 213 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Guys, I really miss him. I just... Miss who? Marco, you know, I don't know if he was really the imposter at Among Us when we played it, and he's dead now. He's dead? Yeah. Oh, he, he was dead last week, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Threw him out the ship. Well, listen... I don't I don't have time to go through a whole thing, but uh it's me, your friendly neighborhood gold balls. Um oh. here on Krakoa we just bring people back. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> He's emerged from an egg for you audio listeners. He's alive. Oh. Hey everybody. <laughs> I hatch an egg and Marco comes up. That was a very visual uh, thing that just happened, but uh, Marco just popped out of a, well... An egg. A, an egg. Or a box. Um, oh, it's an egg. Definitely an egg. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Guys, I've missed... Uh, what's going on? It's been it's been wild. Is, did, did you hear? Jay Garrick won the election yesterday. Wait a second. Okay. That's a that's about on, on brand, yeah. Wait a second. Marco was on the show last week, though. He's coming out of an egg now. No, was that the real Marco last, last week? I was on oh, the show okay. last week. Jay Garrick won. Mm. Oh, I see. No, remember it's huh? he he hatched from right. his memory is from when he died. What are you talking yeah. about, Marco? Died. I don't. What? All right, listen. You you died. Phil killed you. That's something you guys can hash out later. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, you're back now and we have to do the show. So you're just going to have to accept those things and move forward. Oh, is that what that is in my back? (laughs) Oh, no. What? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Do you think on Krakoa when they die, they have the scars from their deaths from before? No, because it's a fresh Surely not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or it's... The memory of what was their body at at the time of their recording or whatever. No, I guess their memories are the recording. Mark, I I mean, they literally get a new. They 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 like make bodies, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to alarm you, Mark, but I'm just glad you're back. Oh, thanks, bud. Nothing weird happened while you were dead. Nothing. I mean, how could it? Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Uh, welcome to the show, Marco's Resurrection aside, glad to have you back, dude. Uh, we are Sans Pete, so I guess his Krakoan Resurrection will have to wait for next week. Um, <laughs> he, he, he doesn't have commitment <laughs> to a bit, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it is what it is. You're stuck with the rest of us. We've got a lot to talk about this week. We've got four reviews. My God, you would think we're becoming the long box. Huh. Uh, we're reviewing Rick. Dark Knight's Death Metal number five. Uh, what else? Uh, Cable number six. Uh, Hellions number six. And where's that last, last book? X-Force 14. Yeah. So we've got some reviews on tap for you guys. 
Uh, continuing with the Ten of Swords event, which will be ending next week. So make sure you guys tune in for that. And uh, we've got lots to talk about. Now, I am sparing us a conversation about Justice League, Zack Snyder's oh, Snyder Cut. So praise me. Thank you, Sean. Wait, why would I? I want to talk about that. Why would I? <laughs> well, Sean, I Is thank anything you. Boo. No. All right. You've spared oh. my my week. And wait, and I'm I'm confused. Uh, l- l- next week is the last week of sort of X. We have like two weeks left. Mm, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to keep up with everything that we have going on, there are lots of ways that you can do that. You can reach out to us on social media at the comics pals get us wherever your podcasts are sold at the comics pals which includes our new host Podbean. uh you guys have shown a lot of support over there so we appreciate you for that uh keep it up make sure that you guys are leaving us those sweet ratings um apple Podcasts, wherever it is spotify make sure that you guys are leaving us a five-star rating or whatever it is you think we deserve um you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com if you want to chat. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you very much. You will notice that I kept my word and I no longer have my quarantine beard. Uh, I had to get rid of it because I intend on staying in a relationship. <laughs> and it was too expensive to feed, right? He, like <laughs> He shaved his quarantine beard, but he's still in his quarantine relationship. yeah nine years uh, of of quarantining yes Uh, make sure that you guys while you're on YouTube are hitting that like button subscribing to our channel and uh, hit the notification bell so you're made aware of when we drop new content also of course or just like Marco nude content (laughs) (laughs) Mm can't support that um not on youtube will. we'll join my we'll only fans at, yeah we'll start <laughs> only fans no we won't uh and last but not least make sure that you guys are joining our discord server where we are always having really fun conversations uh i don't even know what we've been talking about this week i can't think of anything but Kethis, uh, and I think it was Sultan of Swing, Mike, and I had a really cool conversation about uh, Star Trek. Uh, I think they heard my Star Trek poll last week and wanted to talk about it. Oh. Uh, we talked about how cool Discovery is and uh, has, frankly, has no right to be. I, I heard the second season of that show was a disaster. <laughs> no way, dude. The second season fucking rules. Wow, okay. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I I heard that show was bad. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I heard too. I didn't like the first season, but after watching the second season, I sort of and I, I wrote an article about this on um that website that Rachel Conrad and <laughs> the Nerdly the, uh, the Nerdly. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I couldn't remember what it was. Uh, I wrote an article about it. 
Um, That's funny. So what it felt like they were trying to do was it, uh, they were showing in the first season what a bad captain looks like. So if you take the captain of Discovery uh, in the first season and you put him against like Picard, this day, he's a real shitty captain. Uh, but then they put someone who's like the golden image of a, a, a Star Trek captain, uh, Pike, who is, uh, he, he was the Enterprise captain before Captain Kirk. Um, and they put him in the middle of the mix and it just, it immediately felt like Star Trek. Interesting. That was a very frequent dynamic in classic Star Trek, which had like uh, either Kirk, Picard, depending on the show, coming in contact with a bad captain. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a very, mm-hmm. very easy dynamic. Oh, this guy's getting this danger one... everyone's lives. Yeah, this one, this is cool because you spend the season with the bad captain. I see. Hmm. So... We do have some uh, listener comments. Uh, we've got a couple of comments from one Rammer on YouTube. Now on um, uh, now on the Discord. Now also on the Discord. Oh, yes, sick. a fellow convert, and he says. Loving the management and off the cuffness. This is a comment on our most recent episode, DC Bloodbath 2 and uh, the Ten of Swords reviews. Uh, He said, loving the management and off the cuffness. Thanks for keeping me abreast to what's happening in comics. This pandemic got me off my anchor. Geiger sounds curious. I'm so freaking down for X-Men Legends. (laughs) We did our start Friday. Uh... (laughs) He in the world. <laughs> then followed up with a comment saying, BTW, the thing about Betsy getting shattered, read the previous issue. It was hinted. I'm oh, guessing, well, it was hinted. <laughs> I'm guessing Saturnine has a thing for Brian and would like him huh? to be Captain Britain. <laughs> she isn't dead. She's just shattered. She'll be blow glassed to life again. Tarot are all symbolic. The sword symbol is included. Well, <laughs> well Rammer, read the, it, read. if you join the if if you join the Discord, you could read his novel that he he put in uh, in the in the review, oh. uh, outlining the whole thing. It was good. We asked for it last. It, it is. It's very. It's very in detail. It does legitimately uh, sound good. I know Rammer. Uh, Rammer's a big, big, big X Men fan. Um. So yeah, that makes sense. But uh, Rammer, man, you guess that Saturnine has a thing for Captain Britain? <laughs> uh, so? Read that close. You gotta man, read that. Right? No, like you, you gotta read the previous issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Appreciate you writing in, dude. Um, thanks for listening. Now, when he says he likes management, he's definitely talking about DC management, right? <laughs> Mm, no, he's talking about me. The definition of middle management. Someone who <laughs> thinks they have power but really doesn't. <laughs> and wields it mightily. I like that. Doesn't get paid enough for what they do. That's right. <laughs> or gets paid too much for what they do, which might be true in my case. <laughs> well. Um, 
Speaking of all things Krakoa, the internet was abuzz this week with fire and fury, as tends to be the case on X Twitter, because of one Franklin Richards. Now, you might be thinking, wait, what does Franklin Richards have to do with X-Men? Well, we learned... Well, we know that Franklin Richards is an Omega-level mutant, or at least traditionally has been. Uh, In House and Powers 1, Franklin Richards, or the the Fantastic Four, are approached by Cyclops, and he's kind of like, hey, you know, invite your kid, or we're inviting your kid to Krakoa. Um, He's a mutant, and he belongs with his true family. And then there was that X plus, X-Men plus Fantastic Four. Event yeah. that was all about that whole situation. Um, this week in Fantastic Four 26, that was followed up on, and we learned that Franklin is not actually a mutant. What? It's a lie? <laughs> it's a lie. Uh, not quite. It's not quite a lie. Uh, he basically like used up all his powers um, that's how genetics works <laughs> I'm, I'm on he the used up all his let me talk yeah yeah he yeah. used up all his powers okay and he um i guess like he unwittingly altered his cells in his body to make it appear as if he were a mutant because when he was young, he wanted to be someone special. And so that made him into a mutant. And now that he used up all his powers after Secret Wars, when he and the, the Fantastic Four were gallivanting across the galaxy, recreating it, uh, all the things that have happened to him since then exhausted his power set. And so because of that, he lost his powers and he's no longer a mutant. That's one thing. But what's got people so... Uh, upset is this dialogue between Professor Xavier and Franklin Richards. Is this who's a writer on this? Is it Dan, uh, Slott? Dan Slott? Yeah. Professor X says, Because you are not a mutant, and according to Cerebro, Cerebro, you have never been one. As a child, you dreamed of being different, special. Without intending to, you used your cosmic powers to alter every cell in your own body. Till it appeared as if you possessed the X gene. I'm sure this comes as a shock to you too, and you have many questions, but you're going to have to work out the answers for yourself. I am very sorry, Franklin, but you are no longer welcome on Krakoa. Damn. But if if Cerebro says he was never a mutant, why would they go after him in the first place? Because it they thought he was a mutant. Because like his, now, now it's right. no longer in effect. Like the the thing that would have made him passable as a, a mutant. Oh, okay, okay. Right. So so wait, so he ha- he can only, I guess, manipulate reality to the extent that he's actually actively doing it. Like it's not permanent. The reason that it didn't stick is because of the fact that ever since Secret Wars, he's been using his powers um, a lot and at high levels and he's only a teenager still so i guess he's kind of like 
running on empty. And that's something that they've been doing throughout the books. You can clearly see that he's been like exhausted and not as powerful, can't do the things he used to be able to. And so I guess th- this is the culmination of that. I'm, I'm kind of afraid now. I'm not going to lie. I'm... Boy. I know that the day I lose taste for potatoes, that means I've used up my entire Irish ancestry. It'll be gone. What What will you be? I don't know. I won't be special anymore. North Irish? <laughs> oh, we're going to have troubles then. <laughs> Ooh. That was a clever, clever joke you tossed me. Um, I... So I there was one tweet I think from Joseph Glass, uh, yeah. and I don't know if you were going to go into that. Of course. Do, do you want go to take that? It. Okay, okay. So he he tweeted out that um, you know he'd been sort of ruminating on it, and he made the argument that you can, or it, it's it's read uh, offensively. If you make the analogy of what X-Men typically represent, and if you were to replace the exogene uh, factor with Franklin Richards with anything within the, um, I guess the spectrum of being a minority, either being a woman, being uh, trans, trans, being gay, yeah. like, like you can you can re- replace that, and obviously it sends a, a bad message, um, and. Uh, I read it, and then I was like, but he's a mutant, but not really because of his powers. And so then I dropped it. <sighs> Go ahead, Kale. I think you were about to jump in. No, I was, I was laughing at what oh. Marco said. <laughs> um, that, was, that was my thing, uh, and it's like, you know, everyone's entitled to their read of these stories, but mm-hmm. there, I think there comes a point in time where you have to, I think you have to take yourself out of it. Like, you're not a mutant. These are mutants. And being a mutant is not the same as being a- anything else under the sun. It's just, it just isn't. Um, and this goes back to, you know, the Matthew Rosenberg thing from uh, a, a couple years ago where he wrote Rain as, you know, what she is. She, she can turn into uh, a wolf and she was murdered and people felt that that was uh, an allegory for what trans people go through and they thought that it was disgusting and distasteful, um, except that trans people don't transform at any given moment and the idea of that is worse than whatever Matthew Rosenberg wrote and that's how weird it gets when you start applying real life to characters that have powers that don't exist obviously sometimes it, it the 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 allegory stops working and I think this is one of those times so we already know that the mutants now have this very militant perspective on exactly what it means to be a mutant. Let's not forget that uh, Scarlet Witch is now one of the most hated people for mutants because of what she did as a quote-unquote mutant, and she's not even one, and we know that, right? Let's also not forget 
what the mutants make you do if you were a mutant and you were depowered. They make you go through the crucible. You die. Apocalypse kills you. And you are resurrected as a mutant. So cool. That's a that's a it's it's super cool, but it's also very brutal, it's right? Pretty savage. It's like that's, it is. It's inhuman, but that's like kind of the theme. Uh, of the story. I don't know if I don't know if cool yeah. is the word. <laughs> nah, that's cool. <laughs> it's a cool. I think it's an inter- It's a cool idea. You yeah, know, it's um, interesting. And but this is what they are now. This is what the mutants are. And so I don't think that Dan Slott was trying to send a transphobic or anti-minority message uh, when he wrote that. I think he was specifically thinking about the way that the mutants are thinking about mutantdom now. Sure, but it's... I mean, my joke earlier was making light of the fact that it's weird. It doesn't have to be a direct allegory to the experience of minorities for it to be any less weird than it is. It's saying it's taking someone's heritage away and saying like oh you're not that anymore that's it's weird you could tell an interesting story with something like that because like what it means to have a heritage and or 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 be a certain race or whatever that's a whole big thing but i don't obviously that's not like what dan slot's going for like on its face for what it is it's very strange i mean but uh, you know allegory or not at the end of the day, like it'll probably get reversed the same way. Sure. Like it's it's also just comic book bullshit, you know. Not and not to say that that allegory isn't important, but just as easily as you found this one, there are different ones that work in the same way or in the opposite way. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Um, is it like to your point, Phil, about it being weird? Yeah, it's it, of course it's weird. We're talking about mutants, you know, like it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But his heritage, the idea of heritage, the the way we understand it, right? In yeah. real life, um, you cannot take away the fact that I'm black. Right? Sure. It's impossible for you to do that. Yeah. Um, and someone could say. Oh, you know, you're not black enough because of X, Y, or Z. Yes. But that's a thing. I am what I am. Yeah. And that is what it is. And that could be that person's view, but you can't say I'm not what I am. I mean, you can't make that true. Um, and you can and what I just said applies across the board. You can't make it true that someone isn't trans because you think they're not. You know, that is what they are. They're telling you it is, believe them. This is different than that. Because of what it actually means to be a mutant. It's genetic, right? And it's something that in Marvel can be altered. So in the case of Franklin Richard specifically, similar to Scarlet Witch and the depowered mutants, yeah, they're not mutants. It's 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 a little more complicated that in some aspects, like when it comes to People that have different gender identities, for instance, you know, your sex may be, you know, male or female, but your gender, you know, might be something different. And that's where I think the the issue lies, I guess, for people is 
There's plenty of people who identify as one thing and are told they're another thing, and that's an issue. And that's what Xavier's doing to Franklin Richards. Now, obviously, in the context of the story, genetically, Franklin Richards is no longer a mutant. He doesn't have, you know, the, the was the X, you know, the X gene X-T. or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I can see why it's rubbing people the wrong way. That on its own is one big quagmire. Uh, but inherently telling someone that believes they're one thing, that they're not that thing is, is a whole other issue. And that's, that's where people are upset. The, the other, I guess the question that I also had, because my understanding is that Franklin isn't integrated with mutants. Like, like they've, he's been kept separate from mutants generally throughout the course of Marvel. So if, if his only, uh, I guess, claim was that he had an x gene and he didn't participate in the culture of mutants he didn't go to xavier's school if he wasn't part of what it means to make to be a mutant outside of having the gene then what has what has changed outside of the fact that it's been revealed that his powers cause a a a misfire in uh cerebro and i think and again, like I think, what you're saying, Phil, it it's it's not it's not one to one. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't. I, disagree it just, with it that. just isn't. Yeah. And so because of that, I don't think it's even. I think it does it to to for me personally. I think it does a disservice to all of the progress that we make as people whenever we say oh well you can't do this because this reminds me of that and in this case especially i don't think you can say well you can't say this about franklin richards because of how it makes me feel about myself because that's a limitation on storytelling which is for me at least a big no-no Especially in the case of this is a, like human beings cannot alter their genetics and Franklin can. That's different. And what makes someone a mutant is very specific. And Franklin can 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 circumvent that. And it's a thing you have or don't. And there's it's not the same like it's not the same thing. As saying, well, I you can't say I identify as a mutant because it's it's a specific thing. Sure. So or, there you go. Or or in, in Franklin's case, he can mutate. He can he can adjust his gene to get the X gene, and then he'll say I'm a mutant. But to the extent that it's only that gene, and he hasn't participated otherwise, like he he could have been totally d- disassociated away from them never bought up and then he's like oh look cool a mutant i'm gonna become a mutant Uh, then at that point it's only to the extent that he has the ability to to do so um not necessarily based off of the identity sure and i don't disagree with really any of this inherently i don't i I don't have any interest in in trying to limit what storytellers do or anything it's it's a similar issue we run into a lot on this show when it comes to comic books reaching any kind of larger kind of pop culture bubble. X-Men, for what it is, you know, you can't always, 
Sean, at the very beginning, you talked about how you can't really force the allegory, but for, for readers, X-Men have always just been, uh, maybe not always, but at least for like the last 25, 30 years have been an allegory for whatever oppressed minority group, right? And so whenever anything weird like this, which is where I started from, happens, you know, people read into it. And but that's where we are. But I would say to that, <clears throat> the whole thing of the powers of X, House of X, this whole thing has been about them reattaining and gaining power. Absolutely. So they, they're no longer in that, or they still remain in that minority insofar as they... They're their own nation state now. It's right, exactly. Different. Exactly. Yeah, I understand. I mean, and and like, you read these comments and people are... They're reading so far into it that people can't accept... Like, oh, this era of mutants is bad because they are willing to align themselves with a genocidal um, villain in Apocalypse, in apocalypse. and a, a colonialist, well, like, all these extra things. Like, okay, cool, like, I get your political alignment. Read the comic. And that's those are fair criticisms. Maybe the X Men aren't heroes. That's something we've been talking about since the very beginning of Hawksbox. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm not yeah. bad. Like that's not, but that's but that's not bad storytelling. That makes them interesting. Yeah. Like why can't that happen? You know. I, well, yeah, you know Apocalypse is bad or yeah. was. Well, it's like anything. When you have characters you've been attached to for 30... It's just, we talked about this last week, the last two weeks, the long anchor of continuity. When you've been reading characters you love so much for so long, like Cyclops and Jean Grey and Wolverine, and all of a sudden what they're doing is much more political, politically and morally ambigu- uh, ambiguous than it was at any point in their publication history. People, It's the same thing with the Captain America becoming part of Hydra. Feathers get ruffled. They were wrong then too. <laughs> I'm so I'm surprised no one made the like a Nazi allegory or something. Oh, of course they have. Oh, have they really? I haven't seen oh, that. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it's an ethnic state, right? There's, I mean, that's the whole thing Nazis were doing. So, right. th- th- I mean, inherently, it's... <laughs> what is it? Your first day on the internet? <laughs> I'm sorry, you want to go for sorry Nazis I first thing? Be, there'd be Nazis on the internet. My bad. Uh, there's definitely Nazis on the internet. We'll start with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I mean that's a thing that happens a lot. I think is it, uh, you know let me put it this way. Uh, uh, this is kind of a prefix to our conversation later. Uh, but one thing I had to grapple with after reading our three X books this week was uh, my feelings over where I wanted this to go versus what I'm reading, and that's yeah, something that yeah. people deal with is. People will have, they'll um, interject what they want onto whatever they're consuming, and they're not able to you know reconcile with what they wanted versus what they got. Now, what they got isn't necessarily a good thing, but they have to be at least able to try to process that what they got. You know what I mean? It's the same thing here with the uh, Hawksbox stuff, or, or you know with the Franklin Richards story. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, at the end of the day, man, I think, you know, we need to let let the creators uh, have the ability to tell stories and judge them on their merits. 
and I think, you know, especially a guy like Dan Slott, man. Woof. He's been through the ringer. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. My man, uh, my man got so many death threats for killing Spider-Man. I wonder what his <laughs> inbox looks like now. That's a good example of what we're talking about. You know, people with long history of Spider-Man do something different. People get very upset. Yeah, that wasn't cool. Yeah. Rest in peace, Franklin Richards. <laughs> Marco, you're such a mutant. The pretender. You some that egg. <laughs> hey, man, I have the X gene. I grew out of that thing. <laughs> That's right. So wait, if, oh, Lux. oh, interesting. That's a question. Like, could I don't know. Is it? No, listen. What if they killed, like, Captain America or something and they chose to resurrect him in the egg? Would he have the X gene? Or is it just reserved for people that were once mutants? No, you have to be a mutant to do it. He's the second one. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, you know, that's a whole crucible thing is that people that don't have mutant abilities anymore get resurrected with mutant abilities. Obviously, I guess they were deactivated from uh, Scarlet Witch or whatever. But that's yeah. the but it, reason I ask. But it's not... Um, that's not what's happening. They're... Yeah. They're being, they're 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 going back to a prior like body yeah, state, like log of themselves. So yeah. there's no version of Captain America that's a mutant, so they can't. Yeah, okay. Go back to that. That'd be kind of campy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, to say the <laughs> least. This this won't factor in the rest of our conversation later. But uh, if you're interested, there is a, an article on Bleeding Cools from a couple weeks ago um, detailing how all the big ideas from House of X very well may have come from Alan Moore's Captain Britain. Interesting. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. It was, there's also an, there's another book called The Seven Lives of... Love it. Yeah, um, the thirteen lives of uh, starts with an A, like Adelaide Brown or some August, shit. Uh, August um, Alan Moore. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll Google it. Yeah, I have the book and it's it's good, but I can't remember. Um, oh, do you have it? Yeah, uh, I went out and bought it after that. Harry August, the first yeah, fifteen Harry lives August. of Harry August. Yeah, yeah. Did didn't you reference um, that for the? Um, the Moira stuff? Yes, yeah. Okay. So the the oh, Moira yes. stuff seems to have been influenced by that book. Oh, um, I see. Okay. The okay. Re, the the like resurrection of mutants and the infinite lifespan of of mutant dumb, all that good stuff. Um, like to an uncanny degree existed in uh in that captain britain book and even the look like the art style the the color style that they use um you see it when they resurrect captain britain in this book like it's it's actually crazy when i was reading this article how similar it all was but uh yeah so you know maybe because uh, I remember Jonathan Hickman said that he had a story. I mentioned this last week that he said he had a story that he had been dying to tell that he wanted to tell. And obviously that's an old book. It's possible that Hickman read that when he was young and said, "What if you took what they did to Captain Britain and applied that to all of mutants?" And that's how they that, got here. That could be why Excalibur has such a big deal. Yeah, uh, in this era as yeah. well. Yeah, and uh, actually uh, Saturnine is in that book. 
And so is Jim Jaspers, who has been a big mm-hmm. deal in this story as well. Um, Jim, Jim Jaspers, Jaspers is... For those of you who don't know who he is, he's the, the, the guy in the that weird like town um Mm -hmm. the uh, market yeah the market who has this infinite power but is clearly like a like a slave of saturnine or whatever um he's all of that all of that story comes from captain britain he's such a like 70s throwback character like he feels like he could spring right from the pages of a chris claremont x-men book and feel right at home Mm. Uh, let's jump into the Palace Polls. We've got from Kale and Phil the question, the deaths of Vic Sage. So, so this is that Black Label uh, series that Jeff Lemire did with uh, Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. Um This is the uh, first four issues, or I guess the four issues. I think it was a miniseries. Um. I don't know. I'm real pumped about this. Any uh, Jeff Lemire is a uh, along with like um, Matt Kent are are very silent favorites of mine. Hmm. They're people I don't think I like, and then when I read their stuff, I definitely like them. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to see what uh, what he's going to do with the question here. Yeah, especially with this old talent. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um... We don't get enough question stuff in general, I feel. Um, so that's really exciting. Uh, and Bill Sienkiewicz, he's a really good artist. Uh, he's been around for a long time, long, long time. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited for a good question story. Uh, I feel like the last time we got one was like 30 years ago, right? Oh, geez. Oh, my God. It depends on your perspective but i like the greg rucka stuff that came out of um oh yes new 52 52 52, rather yeah that was very good so it's been like 15 years (laughs) so 20 years yeah jeez uh as for me i went with other history of the dc universe number one so this is a book that they've been talking about for the longest uh it was rumored then it was announced then it was delayed and you know they've been touting john ridley who wrote uh 12 years a slave or is it 13 years a slave whatever it is um as this you know great writer i didn't see that movie and i want to know what all the fuss is about this is supposed to be a story about the dc universe from the perspective of the minority characters that exist inside of it and that's an interesting angle. Um, also, a selling point for me is the artwork of one Giuseppe Camuncoli, who is one of my favorite artists in the industry. He had a tremendous run with uh, Dan Slott on Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, in the aftermath of Secret Wars. What a beautiful book. Fun fact, the colorist on that book was Mark DeGracia. Oh. And that was the first time I ever saw his work. And that's when I fell in love. So I'm hyped for that. Then I also chose Ten of Swords Destruction 1. Obviously, next week, as I said before, is the last week of books in this event. And I'm interested in how it ends. The creation issue that started this whole thing was probably the best issue of this run so far. 
Uh, and so, and when I say this run, I mean this event. And so, I'm interested to see how they how they wrap it up. Now, let's jump into the news. We're starting with something huge. We finally now know what the fate of Wonder Woman 1984 will be. And that is something that I don't think I saw anybody suggesting. Wonder Woman 1984 will still release on its uh, release date of uh, December, what, December 25th, Christmas? 25th? Yeah, on, on Christmas Day. But it will release simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. Let's go! Okay, I guess we're all going to have to get on our hazmat suits uh, so that when we go to the movie theater, you know, we are safe. We'll sit down. They'll shoot our popcorn to us through a giant tube in the movie theater. Wait, Sean, And then they got to spray out. a desanitization mist all over us to make sure we're safe. I think... I think we can do this, guys. You all have Sean, it, your hazmat should, suits, right? No. Uh, we should rent out a theater like they've been doing at the AMC and just watch that shit. That would be fucking awesome. Yo, it's only 100 bucks. Is it really? Yeah, supposedly. Fuck. Let's do it. Hold on. Shit. Let me check this. Cause... Do it. Do it. And <laughs> then do a pot. Do it and then do a podcast from it. Like, <laughs> oh, live reaction? Imagine. <laughs> Let's just set up all of our stuff in an AMC and do. Why not? No, I'm not. I'm not BSing. Let's do it. That's fun. Yo, starting um, at ninety nine dollars, you can rent out a private theater with AMC. But only that starting. Damn. Still though, like split that between a few people. That's it. Yeah, you're talking about a few dollars. I'm in. Oh I'm wait, I think in. I think it's for like specific movies we'll figure this out well, yeah exactly we'll, we'll we'll figure it out um shoot i wonder you know what we'll, we'll workshop that off <laughs> got us excited for a whole different thing I, yeah because i'm thinking i'm even thinking like can we invite certain people like yeah. if people can provide a, a, mm-hmm. a test you know like a um oh a, yeah like passing that. covid test like um I got an F on my COVID test. <laughs> well, stay away from me. Yes, sir. Uh, so, so they're they're making this huge leap to release the movie simultaneously. It will actually be free in the sense that if you have HBO Max, you don't have to pay any additional money, which is counter to what mm. Disney Plus did with the release of Mulan, where they did charge you an additional $30. Right. And so that's pretty cool. The downside of that, though, is that it will only be available on HBO Max for one month. Wow. So you've, you've got to get in on that initial <laughs> month to be able to watch it. That's A month is fine, though, for like a debut of a major cinematic you know, blockbuster. I think yeah. you would think people would hop on that within the first two weeks. Especially if people are not trying to like go away for the holidays, if you know you're trying to find something to do over the new year, like yo, let's just watch Wonder Woman or something. Yeah, man, most yeah. people aren't flying to California, uh, you know, during a pandemic during the holidays. Yeah, man, crazy who crazy that somebody would do that. Yeah, <laughs> well, and and here's the thing, <laughs> I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but so the UK 
just went into their second lockdown. And they started it on November 2nd. And they were saying it was only going to be uh, a month. And they're making this huge, the government is making this huge, huge deal about making Christmas as normal as possible. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense that, of course, they would open the theaters and put all the, because uh, Tenant was a huge deal over there. Really? Too, over the summer. Yeah, it was huge. That movie flopped. Uh, not in the UK. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I, I would bet they're gonna they're gonna pump Wonder Woman into the theaters to try to get people <laughs> there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like the idea. You know what? You don't. We're not gonna pump you with a vaccine from Pfizer or Moderna. We're gonna pump you with some Warner Brothers uh, goodness. That'll stop COVID. Right here. That's right. <laughs> get some Wonder Woman in those veins. Damn, I might I might have to fly. I mean, someone might have to fly to the UK. Athena, guide me. <laughs> so Patty Jenkins. <laughs> said about this the time has come at some point you have to choose to share any love and joy you have to give over everything else we love our movie as we love our fans so we truly hope that our film brings a little bit of joy and reprieve to all of you this holiday season watch it in theaters where it is safe to do so check out the great work theaters have done to make it so and available in the safety of your home on HBO Max, where it is not. Happy holidays to all of you. We hope you enjoy our film as much as we enjoyed making it. <laughs> Come so, watch this movie. Come support corporations. <laughs> so, my man, this is your first time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> in in the United States, uh, that that uh, that movie. Uh, I already forgot the name of it that came out two months ago in theaters. What was it called, Kale? Tenet. Tenet. That did very poorly. It bombed. And it caused every other major studio to push their big blockbusters further back because people weren't ready to go to theaters. People are not going to theaters, and many of them are shutting down uh, because of you know lack of uh, for a lot of reasons, but they're shutting down. Uh, COVID is the worst it's been in the United States in like 48 out of the 50 states since April. I do not think people are going to go to theaters to see Wonder Woman 1984 for Christmas. However, something Marco has been pushing for like four years on this podcast is like uh, the advent of home entertainment movie, like major blockbuster films on on streaming <laughs> platforms. And so I think bad. this specifically will be an interesting experiment of how well that kind of experiment can succeed i bet we i bet uh after a month you know after that month that they've set i bet we see an announcement from marvel about black widow too maybe so reports are saying that this has not caused marvel or disney to change their position on black widow yet there's well, there's a couple of interesting wrinkles that we have to consider with all of this. So, first of all, the primary reason why the executives at Warner want to do this is twofold. One, they fear that the movie will actually get stale if they don't put it out. Now, mm. I don't I don't mean in the sense 
that the reels will start to deteriorate or anything <laughs> goofy like that. I like the idea that movies are still shot on film. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I mean, in the sense that, you know, it's been four years since, or it will have been four years since the original Wonder Woman, oh if they God. were to wait until 2021. And they feel like the character hasn't been on screen in a long time. They don't want to lose the moment. That's one part of it. The other part of it is that HBO Max isn't a flop. It's in, I think, 9 million homes. Somewhere in that region. But 70% of the people who have HBO did not upgrade to HBO Max. Even though, in some instances, it was the same cost or slightly more expensive for you to do so. Couldn't you get and it? And so, go ahead. Sorry, because I, I, I remember there also being a like a Hulu add-on for HBO. There and, is. Yeah, and that's cheaper than HBO Max itself, right? Yep. I wonder if people are have that instead of just the standalone HBO. Well, so I had the uh, HBO add-on for Amazon. Oh. And it was the same price. It was a no-brainer to switch over. Right. So it made perfect sense. I mean, you get, ac- you get access to so many things. But... They, this move, more than anything, is about raising awareness for the fact that HBO Max exists and getting people to see what it is so that they want to actually engage with it. Now, one of, one of the things that I, that I read was that industry insiders are suggesting that Warner is comfortable and aware of the fact that they will take a loss on this. They don't even expect hmm. more, like a significant amount more of people to jump on board with HBO Max in the sense of like this being competitive with how much money they would have made in theaters. They What they really care about is getting people to see what HBO Max is and that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think I think if anything the for them there's a like a longer term value for having customers subscribe to HBO Max, even if they're not looking at the finances short term, the the it, it makes sense for them to at least be able to include to some extent a long term play within this um within this movie release because the, the theater releases and having it on the actual platform is like that's obviously for the short term. And they're if they're expecting that loss, then there's also the potential for any long term conversions coming on. And whatever that might be, right? It could be like I don't know. I'm not even gonna put a percentage to it because I, I I don't know. But the the fact that they'll be able to get at least some volume of people subscribed equates to being able to capitalize off those people anyway, like over time. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately. Movies, unless you're the Marvel Cinematic Universe, are a fleeting financial experience. You know, people like 
you know, these studios make money off movies for a couple months, but make money off a couple months months of their home release, even though uh, people are buying home releases less and less because of streaming services. Uh, obviously, the exception is Marvel because they've created such a, an elaborate, you know, web of movies at this point. So I think it, it's a it's a viable concept because at this point, any movies that were shot in 2019 are basically going to take a loss at this point because people aren't going to flock to the theaters for uh, on mass to see anything any, like right now. Wonder Woman 1984 was you know one of the three biggest movies of 2020 in terms of anticipated release you know whatever happens are probably going to take a loss uh, in terms of the production costs but hbo max is a long-term you know that's a long-term money scheme for for time warner uh so makes sense to try to get a foot in the door and for my money hbo max is i think the best streaming service right now really Mm mm-hmm because the the TLC stuff, I mean, they got all these uh, Criterion Collection stuff. They got a lot of the hot, uh, you know, DC app TV shows on there. Studio um, Ghibli's there. Yeah, exactly. They got like they got some really high profile stuff on there that's not on you know the other streaming services except Disney Plus has their own high profile stuff. But you know, yeah. So. It's an it's an interesting move. I think it's probably the right thing to do. Um, it's unfortunate for this movie. I was excited to try again with Wonder Woman, and I want that big screen experience. Um, I hope that this doesn't take away the feeling of this character being epic and belonging on the big screen. I think those I think those things are important. And this is territory we've never really been in before. So, you know, historically, Warner never wanted to make a Batman TV show because they felt like that would take some of his heat away. They never wanted him to be on TV because he's a movie character. Superman was allowed to be on television if the show was a romance or if he was a kid, you know, and it wasn't until recent that they've kind of softened that opinion and let him have um or let like like let him be on that supergirl show and even on that he's not the main character so this is a turn for them it's still a movie but you can watch it on the small screen simultaneously with the big screen right. it'll be very interesting to see how this impacts wonder woman 3 um and warner's confidence in the character going forward yeah does Sean, does this affect your confidence in the character? No. No, it doesn't. Uh, but I, I'll tell you this right now. If this was Batman by Matt Reeves, they're not doing this. Hmm. Yeah. I think in the mind yeah. of the Warner execs, they're on two separate tiers. Yep. I think this shows you what they think of Wonder Woman. And I think that they're willing to use that character in this movie as an experiment. Yeah. To see what can happen and if they can drive some more people to HBO Max, then it's a win. Right now, they're making nothing off the movie. So whatever they're going to make, it's more. they're going to make here and they might as well cash in, I guess. Yeah. I'm a little surprised Disney, at least you know, as of this week, is still saying they're not really interested in putting Black Widow on Disney Plus or something similar. Uh, 
because hype-wise, I would say Black Widow is their least anticipated movie they've really maybe ever scheduled, or least least anticipated for the last like six or seven years at least. Well, I think right now they're they're looking at the um, at the Mandalorian stuff. Like people have come back for that, so I, I'm 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 assuming that that's what they're focused on, and like not that they're not they're not worried about it maybe quite yet because they've seen all the, the the influx come back for Mandalorian. Well, so here's here's the difference, right? It since HBO Max released, they have not had a big thing. The Snyder Cut was supposed to be the big thing. There's nothing unless you specifically like what's already there, they don't have that fresh IP or fresh um show that's really bringing people in the first exclusive that they had that i think is doing numbers for them is the fresh prince reunion special oh yeah other than that they don't have anything so they need this disney plus Mm. doesn't need this disney plus has a huge install base people are way into it parents Mm. are way into it for their children yada 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 they don't have to put black widow on there in order to drive people to disney plus the question is that 30 bucks that they charged for Mulan, can they do that for Black Widow? They got a lot of negative feedback on that move. It made money, but a lot of people were upset about it. I don't know if they can do that again. Now, it remains to be seen. If Wonder Woman is such a colossal hit for HBO Max, maybe Disney thinks differently. But I think right now, there's no reason for them to change their minds and they should stay the course. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the skinny on what's going on with Wonder Woman. We will be able to watch it on Christmas and you can bet your bottom dollar that we will have a review for you guys as soon as we can on that. In a theater. (laughs) (laughs) In some additional Marvel or superhero news, we're switching to the Marvel side to talk about Thor Love and Thunder. So Thor Love and Thunder, of course, is Thor 4. And there's been some big news associated with this film. According to an insider, this movie is going to be uh, feeling like Avengers 5. In the same way that Captain America Civil War felt like Avengers 2.5. Some people said it felt like Avengers 3, whatever. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Recently, we learned that in addition to all of the people you would expect to be in the movie, like Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pratt and Vin Diesel are reprising (laughs) their roles as Star-Lord and Groot in this movie. You you totally uh, distracted me. I was thinking, like, Vin Diesel's going to be in the movie? (laughs) When I first read the report, I thought the same thing. Yeah, okay. So that's that's pretty significant. Obviously, the films have established a relationship between Thor and the Guardians. So when I first saw this, when I first saw their announcement, not announcement because uh, Vin Diesel announced it by mistake um, in an interview, but... Chris Pratt is definitely official. So when I saw those two things, 
I was like, okay, fine, whatever. They're probably just a cameo. That's cool. For someone to describe this as an Avengers 5 feel, and Chris Hemsworth recently said that they were really going to shake things up in the MCU with this movie, it makes me feel like this is the movie to look at in Phase 4 of the MCU. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing when this this phase was announced. We were talking about how it felt like there were no heavy hitters in here. Like, maybe this was a phase where they would kind of just start the cycle over again. Kind of a soft reboot of just kind of let things build up again. But when you describe it this way, it makes it sound like this is indeed the heavy hitter. Yeah, uh... The only movie that they have on tap that I've been excited about really has been uh, Doctor Strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thor, I got to tell you, I liked Ragnarok. I did. I thought it was solid. Mm-hmm. That good. movie is so over the top, campy and stuff that I'm... I haven't. I genuinely haven't been excited to see what else they have to say, um, because I know they're not going to treat Jane Foster's, or at least I shouldn't say I know. I feel like they're not going to treat Jane Foster's story with the level of. Uh, I don't want to use this word, but I will. Seriousness. Gravity. Yeah, gravity is a better word. Yeah. With the level of gravity that it it deserves, I know they're. I feel like they're not going to do that. And now, when you're telling me that all these other yeah. characters are in it, I don't see how she has the space and time to really get the attention that she deserves. It, and then when you add on to that, Taika Waititi loves to do those weird offbeat comedy things. I don't think you treat someone who's dying of cancer like that. But I I don't want to sell him short either uh he also did judge a rabbit which is a movie that deals with a lot of gravity in a very sincere way mm. but it does have a lot of offbeat humor mm-hmm. yeah but that doesn't mean he you know he's not doesn't capable. know how to do yeah. a serious scene that's like. what i'm saying yeah it it, it worries me i get it yeah that was my first thought too is is not necessarily that uh you know, he's not going to be able to treat Jane Foster's condition or whatever with the gravity it needs, but her story is going to get short shrifted, even just because Chris Hemsworth is going to be in the movie. Like, the reason Jane Foster's story is so impactful in the comics is because Thor isn't around being Thor. He was off being Thor Odinson or whatever. Well, isn't that kind of what we. You know what I mean? Like, is that not what we assume? It was a separate... It, it's a separate thing, is what I mean. You know, this isn't going to be a Jane Foster movie. This is going to be a, a Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman film. And now Chris Pratt and Vin Diesel are in it, too. Mm-hmm. And Christian Bale, by the way. That's right. Oh, really? Oh. He's the antagonist. Yeah, so, playing the yeah. She might as well just not even... Wait, he's the bad guy? She did not, she's yeah. barely going to be on the poster, I bet. No, she's the main character. <laughs> Uh, no, she's not, my man. <laughs> is it not her movie? Like, isn't isn't the selling point is that they brought like Natalie Portman did not want to come back. She came back because 
you know, they made her the main character, this movie. So she's got to be the main character, but, you know, what percentage of that is that is she going to be? Is she going to be, like, 90% the main character, or is it going to be more like 60% the main character? But that's that's what I'm saying, is it ain't going to be enough, mm. given that Chris Hemsworth and all these other people are going to be in the movie, and she's supposed to be the hot new Thor. Well, she'll be hot for sure. Because, you know, it's Natalie Portman. Come on. Let me pose this question because I think it's weird that Thor is the character getting a fourth movie. Uh, the first, he's the first character to get a fourth installment. Hmm. I think, and I'm, I'm asking you guys if you think this way or you think differently, that the reason that they're doing this is actually because they want to pass the baton. From Chris Hemsworth to Natalie Portman to have, you know, her be Thor going forward and to establish a new era of the Avengers with this movie. Maybe. was Wait, was that not the assumption? Because I, I, I had thought that that was the whole point of this was that, you know, Thor was or Natalie Portman was going to be the new Thor because she's even in this movie to begin with. Well, yes, might. that that is the assumption. What Sean is saying is. They're gonna pass the baton. Like overall, we're not gonna see Chris Hemsworth. That wasn't my assumption, and I'll tell you Uh, why. The way the last Avengers movie ended, Chris Hemsworth was riding the ship that the Guardians of the Galaxy were on. I assumed that he was gonna be in Guardians. That was his. I thought he was just transitioning over. Uh, so you know, I I don't see it that way, Sean, because it seems like. Chris Hemsworth and Taika Waititi yeah. are having fun. It seems like they've hit their stride and they're they like what they're doing finally. <laughs> so, you know, does it matter to you if, like, would would it bother you if they did, or is that what you need them to do to be happy? The idea of of Chris Hemsworth transitioning out of the role. Would you like that, or would you not like that? Uh, I, I, you're probably asking the wrong person. I don't well, just you know, give a shit. Asking you guys. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess, if they're gonna do the Jane Foster thing, yeah, why not? Like, if you're gonna do it, do right. it. Yeah, like I, I don't know that I'm gonna be upset at seeing Chris Hemsworth leave, especially if it's in like some sort of graceful way, or they, you know, like if they get rid of him in in some sort of satisfying way for the story. It's fine that I, I I think that Marvel's capable of doing that. Um, I'm not upset by having it be either uh, Jane Foster or whatever. Like it's it's no big deal as long as if it's a story, it makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with whatever they do. I want a I want a good story first and foremost. Uh, I like many people did not really care about Thor one or two very much. Uh, and honestly, I didn't really care for um, Thor three that much really? either. No, we've uh, we've reviewed it on the show. I was kind of down on it. Um, but that said, the evolution of Chris Hemsworth as being a serious stoic actor to being more of a comedic actor has been a great evolution because he's got comedic chops, and we've only been able to see that really in the last three movies that he was in. You know, the two Avengers movies and then you know, Thor Ragnarok. 
uh, I'd be interested in seeing that develop more in other movies. Like that's why I think he would be a good fit in that Guardians three because I think you'd really have that opportunity to showcase that. But you know, I'm not like attached to it. If he if they're transitioning him out because he's tired of doing stuff, because I mean the reality is he's got to ha- he's had to maintain this regiment and diet of his for like nine years at this point, and we've heard Hugh Jackman talk about what it's like to sustain this kind of super heroic physique for a decade plus it's just so taxing and tiring and tough uh i wouldn't blame him if he was ready to you know sidestep out because that was certainly the feeling i got from chris evans i think he was also just tired of having to maintain a godlike physique phil give me canadian wolverine but after he's done needing to maintain a godlike physique oh Oh my, I had too many Molsons. I'm, I'm famished. Now I gotta eat, eat some Taco Bell, eh? You know, they come from Canada. Oh, it's not easy maintaining this physique, eh? This, this beard got in mind. That, you gotta really maintain it. You gotta down at least four or five packs of Molson every day. Cause the healing factor like this, you don't feel it right away. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Marco. Sorry, um, that does gonna land better. Wow. So yeah, it was my concept, dude. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is gonna maintain his physique anyway, because yeah. that's where his bread is buttered. He's a man in the prime of his life, and he's a top billing actor. That extraction movie on Netflix was a crazy huge success. Yeah, it was good. And he's got to keep doing that. So if you're going to do it anyway, you might as well do it for Marvel. uh, In addition to whoever else wants to pay you. I am a lot more comfortable with the passing of the torch if Thor sticks around. Like if, if, if Chris Hemsworth is still there. But he's not necessarily Thor, like what they did in the comics. But that's very different in film than television or than uh, comics. Because when you have a movie called Thor, people expect to see Chris Hemsworth in it. And if Chris Hemsworth is in it, then inevitably Natalie Portman's character will uh, not have as much shine. She's sharing the screen with someone who... I mean, has been the character for over a decade at this point. And I think that that will be tough if they're going to do this going forward. If this is the way forward, I think that will be hard. So I'm going out on a limb and I'm going to say that Natalie Portman will not be Thor past this movie. That's my bet. Oh, interesting. I can see that that too. Because I, I would also bet Natalie Portman probably doesn't want to be attached for too long as well. And, you know, the Jane Foster character really could die at the end of the film. Yeah. You know, from from her her illness and we still have Thor. A lot of... Like, I also the, think that... Go ahead. I was just going to say, a lot of like those like big A-list type actors never seem like they want to do more than a couple movies in like a franchise. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think that they're gonna want to introduce Beta Ray Bill too at some That'd be point. Sick. You can't have three Thors run. I mean, you can, you literally can, but I don't think they're gonna. 
uh, have all that going on. So I, I, I think she'll she'll do a one and done with this character. Um, That'd be so sick. Let's let's dive into uh, the comic space here. We've got a new book announcement from Image. Uh, they've announced a book called Radiant Black. <sighs> I thought it was which... a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been thinking about that all week, man. <laughs> um, they describe as, and this this messed me up, messed me up. A collision between Power Rangers and Invincible. Oh, what? Huh. Now, when I read huh. this, I thought, wait, are Invincible and Power Rangers crossing over? Hmm. But that's not the case. It's an original story by Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa. And so, obviously, Kyle Higgins did Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to great okay, success. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's going to be you know, taking what he learned over there and applying it to this story, Kale, I think this is up your alley. Do you look at the character design? It looks. I saw. Yeah, I saw Michael Cho's uh, variant cover. Yes, uh, and it looks sick as hell. Yeah, this character looks really awesome. Certainly looks like it could be a, a like a character in Power Rangers, which is definitely not a bad thing in my mind, but. Here's the pitch. I actually thought it was a pretty interesting concept. Uh, So what it is, where's the, uh, all right. So what it is, uh, Radiant Black follows Nathan Burnett. And as he turns 30, things aren't so great. He's working at two jobs, but seemingly failing at both and struggling with credit card debt, meaning that he is all of us, Um, (laughs) (laughs) meaning that his best move is to move back in with his parents. That all changes, though, when he discovers and unlocks the ethereal cosmic radiant, giving him the power to change his fortunes and help others. Unfortunately, he soon discovers the powers he's unlocked don't belong to him, and the cosmic beings that created them will go to any any lengths to get them back. So, I think that's really interesting. Image doesn't have a lot of books that can serve you if you really love superheroes. Um, mm. And this is kind of a superhero story, but without the constraints of a Marvel or DC where the story has to go on forever and you're basically, you know, accepting the fact that you don't get to tell the final tale with this character. So this is this serves two audiences. This is for the crowd that loves superheroes, but also the crowd that likes their stories to end. This, this serves two audiences, Kale and Pete. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You you know I love my stories to end. <laughs> you know that. If there's one thing there's one thing you know about me, it's that I love an ending. In fact, I yearn for mine. That's right. That's right. Ooh, this Finch cover looks really fucking good too. Damn. Yeah. These covers are hot. Uh Marco, does this appeal to you at all, man? Oh, I've been on mute. <laughs> ha! Yeah. You dumbass. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, this uh, this logo in particular, I, I was just like, like, it looks really, really cool. I like the the aesthetic of like the book so far, 
and especially that Michael Cho cover. It's really nice. Yeah, th- this looks really cool. Yeah. Oh, shit. This is hot. Like, I think that this is going to be a, a, a pretty sizable hit for Image. And they should be a. Should we uh, share the the screen so the the YouTube viewers can see the the covers we're talking about? Oh yeah, sure. We can absolutely do that. Uh, I will show off these covers and uh, have you guys take a look because this is really this is really cool stuff. Um, here we go. Yeah, so check this out. Uh, this is the Michael Cho cover that uh, we've all been raving about. Just look at this design. Right, like this is super cool. This yeah. comes out in February, by the way. And Marco mentioned Sick. the um, the design of the like the the title. Look at how cool that is. Angular, slick, yep, stylish. I love the way what they did with the A's here. That's super cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Color yeah, this is that, that little really nice too. Symbol too is really cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Awesome design work there. This cover here. Is also pretty cool. This it is reminds like a very, me of good. Reminds me of Rocket Man, but I don't oh, know. Yeah. If that's, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I was gonna say it was very Superman like, but Rocket that Man too. Is yes. Good. Yeah. Uh, this is just a blank cover. That's fine. This I thought there was something wrong with my computer <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that. Oh, why isn't the cover loading? <laughs> I had the same exact thought actually. Um, and then this one. This one is, whew, this is the big The Finch one. cover, yeah. yeah. This will probably end up being the uh, the money cover. Yeah. David the one Finch that Midtown's going to make you pay 30 bucks for. Yep. And I ain't paying. Huh? So. No. Uh, scroll down just a little bit further. The interior art, uh, they show the moment of transformation or whatever. Yeah. Um. And that moment is just as cool as the covers, frankly. So if you guys are watching on YouTube, you can see along with us as we, we check out uh, oh, snap. the nice. character actually getting the uh, the powers. And you see the first moment of him in his suit, which, again, is pretty sweet. It looks like Gravity from Marvel meets Tally from Mass Effect. Wow, I haven't thought about gravity in the longest. Yeah, I I like how alien it looks. Yeah, yeah. that's that's really cool to me. Yeah, there's no like mouth or nose. Just and even there. the eyes look a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah. White eyes like from a Batman comic with no pupils. This is one of those character designs where I'd I'd actually love to hear the artist talk about how they arrived yeah. at this. Because it, as simple and as slick as it looks, I'm sure that a lot of iteration went into getting this mm-hmm. down. Yep. So, hats off. Uh, and the artist on the book is Marcelo Costa, with Becca Carey as well involved. So, uh, awesome stuff. I I can't wait for this book. That looks it looks rad as hell. Yeah. 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 So, I would I would say it's safe to say you can expect a review from us. On this when it drops because we're all obviously excited and it seems like it's going to be the start of something cool so i think we'll be in for at least the first issue 
Is that fair to say, guys? Yeah, let's do it. Why yeah. Not? yeah. Kyle Higgins, man, his star has really gone up the last two or three years. I remember people were kind of down on him in a new 52 during Nightwing for whatever reason. But yep. as soon as he did Power Rangers, he became kind of a star. Oh, that was him. It's because he was he was dragged down by the new 52. That's oh, why it didn't work. Go. Damn. Yo, that, that, that Nightwing one was, was good. Hmm. It was all right. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. Sorry, did you guys see while we were scrolling through that that uh, uh, Goku's voice actor died? No, the the Goku's voice actor for the ocean uh, dub. Uh, yeah, the ocean dub. There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did well, other condolences. He did anyway. other anime as well, but yeah, that sucked. Yeah, definitely a bummer. What is not a bummer though? is how well comics have been performing on Kickstarter in the year 2020. We've talked a lot about the doom and gloom of the industry as it relates to COVID and how it has devastated retailers, shops across the world. But one place where comics have been thriving is on Kickstarter. We've talked before about the Spawn Kickstarter that Todd McFarlane did for the toys and how well that did. And what we said at the time was that it showed that although retailers have been devastated, comic book fans have money to burn. And one of the things that I've learned personally this year especially is that comics are a medium – for people with expendable money. They're super expensive. You can't just buy one and call it a day. And it seems that people who buy comics tend to be, you know, they tend to have a little bit more money to spend. And so what we have learned is that uh, (laughs) comic book sales on Kickstarter are up over 30% from 2019. Wow. Hell yeah. With still two months to go. You'll love to see it. That's incredible. You'll love to see it. According to the comics outreach lead at Kickstarter, Oriana Leckert, this is what they say. The category success rate hit its all-time high of 74%, almost twice as high as the site average across all Kickstarter categories. Wow. That's incredible. And it's so promising for – because when you think about Kickstarter, it's really for people who don't have the means, you know, to get their book published otherwise. Now, when we talk about the list of what the biggest sellers are, you'll see that some of these are people that absolutely could have done it without Kickstarter. But Mm. that $22 million has to have hit the pockets – of people who needed the help. Yeah. So if you're someone who wants to create comics, you know, take heart in this news. Yeah. Now I got a. Oh, sorry. I was going to say just uh, on for my experience this this year I got my my first big boy credit card. You know, credit card with a uh, ten thousand dollar a comma with a comma. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i've been i've been on kickstarter more than uh i've ever done in in my comics life yeah 
it's a lot out there i've yeah yeah and and actually uh that said helm gray castle is actually one that um claire napier did some edits on mm-hmm. so you should go oh, go yeah, check yeah. that out um it's also being written by henry barajas who's the creator of la voz de mayo uh, tata rambo which we actually interviewed for um the pals so you guys can go check that out um as well both really really awesome creators claire we had a great conversation with um and this has it's almost up to its um uh total pledge level but there's still 18 days to go as of this recording so if you have the time and you want to go check something out from a two creators that uh, i think are, are definitely up there you should check it out helm gray castle number one love when marco says spanish words it's just pleasing on the ear you know well it's not my fault you guys have accents that's right um we've talked a lot about the health of the industry this year uh and it's you know this this is a year to reflect if there's any right and it's stuff like this that gives you confidence that no matter how bleak things do get you I think this art form and this industry has a pulse. It won't go away no matter how bleak things get. That's what I keep saying. The sun don't rise and set on big, big two comics. <laughs> it doesn't, but it might rise and set on Keanu Reeves. Oh, oh. no. Because no, he's immortal. He'll be fine. <laughs> Berserker by Boom Studios is responsible for 1.4 of the 22 million dollars. That's wild. Yeah. Sorry, what was that, Marco? What? What was that first word? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that that's actually the most funded comics project ever on on Kickstarter. That's six percent of that total. There you go. I bet Boom's never even seen that much money. <laughs> no one at Boom has ever had. Yo, yeah. they, they also saw that comma. Yeah, they. they yeah, Boom right. got their first big boy credit card. Well, two commas, and they're also on Kickstarter and Patreon more than ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and there were other successes. I mean, to be frank, I don't recognize off the top of my head a single name on this list. I don't. I remember, I vaguely remember Coffin Comics. I think we talked about the announcement of them forming that studio, uh, I want to say a couple years ago. And they're on this list with Lady Death Malevolent Decimation number one and Lady Death Blasphemy Anthem number one. Both of those made um, over $300,000, which is an incredible amount of money. Um, a lot of these seem to be horror books, actually. Lady Death, Treacherous Infamy is also on this list. There's uh, a lot of Lady Death. Yeah, a lot of Lady Death, Ava's Demon, Book 2, and Ava's Demon Reborn. Um, so it, it's a very, very interesting list. Um, I I actually am surprised Scott Snyder's book isn't on here. Yeah, I was. that's the second person I thought of after Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Uh, Iron, let's see, uh, Iron Circus's Spike Trotman 
who is a Kickstarter aficionado. (laughs) She fucking invented Kickstarter comics. (laughs) Uh, She said, if famous people or huge companies want to use Kickstarter, that's not a problem to me. That's maybe 1,000 or even 10,000 people who have never used Kickstarter before registering an account and investigating a site that's brand new to them. A lot of those people will stick around and back more than one project. And it's Keanu Reeves or Shenmue 3 or the Smithsonian or whatever that brought them here in the first place. And actually, come to think of it, I'm pretty sure that the first time something like that happened, that a big deal Hollywood type launched a project, Kickstarter actually compiled data about the backers and proved with hard numbers that a lot of those people went on to back other projects. Now, that's That's, cool. That's a good point. In addition, in addition, boom, said that uh, the day that the that the Kickstarter <coughs> for Berserker ended, they would pledge $100 to every live project in the comics community for first-time creators. Wow, that's really awesome. Did they? Huh. Uh, I, I don't have I don't have great question. knowledge of that, but I, I I would hope they did. That would be crazy if they said they would and didn't. Yeah. Um, but provided they did that, that's that's amazing. That's a boost for mm-hmm. people who, you know, are again first time creators who might need that bump. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good perspective from Spike Trotman on that. Uh, she said uh, just above the quote you read on that article was uh, a rising tide lifts all ships or, or whatever that saying is um, and that's absolutely true in terms of you know independent truly independent comics um, it's just, man you love to see it and, and that was what my frustration was when that conversation came up because it's like, if you're a comic creator, you already know that from conventions. People go to conventions for a lot of reasons. But if you're an artist alley, a lot of the time you're there for the bigger names. But what you find is a whole slew of creators who you never heard of who are doing really cool things and you spend money on them. I've like, I learned of um, so many different creators through that avenue. Yeah. If, if 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 I wasn't in Artist Alley because I wanted to get my book signed by um, like Steve McNeven, I never would have met Dirk Manning. Like mm. yeah. things like that, yeah. you know. And I, I think you got to have some 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 perspective sometimes. I understand it's easy to get pissed off, but. I think I think the proof is in the pudding. That twenty-two million did not go to Keanu Reeves. That went to everybody trying to do comics mm. on Kickstarter. So, including including a traditionally painted erotic comic about joining a supernatural BDSM community called okay. Genitals Artemisia. Thanks for that. Five hundred and twenty-three percent funded. Damn, and it's all Marco. Who's it by? <laughs> um, but but she, Mar- Mar- Marco and Keanu Reeves put the money <laughs> behind that book. <laughs> but to your point, Sean, um, like we we um, we get the chance to support the like those creators who are are on the come up, right? Like uh, we had TJ recently on the on the show, mm-hmm. and, and um, Greg Anderson. 
he's he's been on uh we've interviewed him in the past and and that's just people that we pass by and i like just looking around at, on the convention floor well and our friends mark bouchard yeah was just mark on bouchard the like th- there's just there's so many people that use this as an avenue to not even get their name out there just tell a story and that's that's incredibly mm. powerful yeah yeah absolutely right you know what else is powerful my distaste for the first book we're going to be reviewing. <laughs> oh, man, that could go either way, frankly. <laughs> man, we got four books and it could be any of them. <laughs> Dark Knight's Death Metal, number five. All right. Let's, let's, let's dive in because it's not that I hate this book. It, re- it really isn't. It's just that I'm not having as much fun as I think... Snyder and Capullo want me to. Mm. And it could be because of the way that I read comics. It could be because, you know, I I I, I take this seriously. Like, it's not that I can't have fun with the books. I do have fun with the books. But I want there to be a through line of this matters. And this book is so crazy. And so off the wall that I have a hard time feeling like it matters. But also so sort of homogenous at the same time. How do you figure? In a weird way. How do you figure? Well, stuff like um, uh, stuff like Luther just Luthor just popping up and. Oh, he's the opposite of Superman, and he uses the word doom, and, you know, people stand around and talk, and it's, like, as wild as it's supposed to be, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's the same as everything else, really. Kale, can can you check your mic And the characters themselves aren't even phased by how ridiculous all of this is. And that's something that... Like what you just described, Kale, is what Snyder does all the time. Yes. He always does the like, mm. oh well, if it's if Luther is coming, then he must, you know, Doom is coming, and you know, all, like all these like tropes you associate with the specific characters, and they're they're played out. And again, if you are loving this book, you'll read that and be like, haha, that's so funny, you know, it's fun. But if you're not, that's annoying. And in my case, I found it to be annoying. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny because certain writers, when they're around long enough, you can come to really pick out their isms, if you will. If you will. And that's certainly true of Scott Snyder. Um, and that's certainly something that's been happening to Tom King lately. Um, this book, this issue especially felt like a Saturday morning cartoon. Like an 80s Saturday morning cartoon where everything is just bombastic and nothing really... We're not stopping to take the time to make sense of, it, of anything or everything. Um, It's not bothering me. I have taken it for what it is. I feel like that... Well, whether or not it's the intent of the creative team or not, that's how I've taken it. And I've just accepted it for what it is. And I can absolutely see why... Sean 
would be bothered by this because it's like it's like Snyder's attempting to do a Grant Morrison thing with none of the substance. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It 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 very much feels like that, like Snyder aping Morrison, but not understanding or you know, it's just not in his wheelhouse to do the 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 to to stick the landing on the zaniness the way that Morrison does. For me, whenever I read Morrison's work, it's always like, wow, this is crazy, but for some reason, somehow, some way, they're making this work. And I feel excited by it. Here, I'm just like, oh, okay, whatever, Doom, uh, Robin King, uh, Perpetua, fine. There's 50,000 planets coming their way. Wow. You know, like, I, I don't know. There's a thing we talked about in the last two weeks with the larger discussion of DC, you know, potentially getting rid of continuity and how it kind of boiled down to the quality of the creative team and making a continuity heavy book work or not. Like you need to be able to do it. Like you have to be able to walk to walk. The thing about Grant Morrison his zaniness when he gets zany, like bringing back the Batman of Zer and R during his Batman run, something you would never think in a million years would work in a book in 2010 or whatever. Uh, he's able to like dig into the continuity and create such a level ground to stand on that something like that can work. With something like this, we're not taking the time to build the foundation. We're trying to build the building from the top down, it feels like. So there is no foundation. It crumbles when you try to start from the top because there's no foundation underneath to support it. You know? Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about what actually uh, happens here. Sure. So the book opens with, you know, these characters um, being confronted by, well, first of all, they, they, they got their butts kicked by the Robin King. Then... You know, the Batman who laughs comes out of nowhere. Then they're fighting against this crazy, like, bat castle robot thing. That was neat. The, it's, it's Gotham, right? It's, it's yeah. Yeah, it's Gotham as an I, entity. Yeah, that... Which is fine. All of that is fine, but it's all, like, a lot. You know, it's just, it's a lot. That was disappointing. I loved it, by the way. I loved the idea of it. Like, it was really novel and interesting. Like, how things within this giant metropolitan city, you know, oh, I can defeat you because in this part of Gotham, there's this fucking uh, plot device that will, you know, render you useless. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, it's gone within a th- three or four pages, and that was really disappointing. It was like uh, uh, B Rex. Loved that concept. Would have loved to see more of it. I understand there were some real world implications that made it impossible to see B Rex more in the real world, but it doesn't change the fact that you know this creative team is introducing some really interesting stuff, and we're not like we're it's it's a drive by. Sure, yeah, like concepts that are exciting. You don't spend you don't get to spend much time with yeah. because there's too much going on. Um, exactly. One thing that I did love from this sequence and. You know, this is something that you you kind of know if you know, but I just love the fact that the one person that he couldn't 
immediately dispatches Wonder Woman because Batman doesn't have an actual plan for how to beat Wonder Woman. And so when he's talking all that crap, he's kind of like, at least the way I interpreted it, trying to figure out what to do. But before he can, or if he even could, he gets taken out by um, by Lex. So I, I kind of like that moment. He brought doom. Ugh. I'm, uh, I was I was curious on that because if you see that that page where like the the laser beam comes in, you see um, she's being like I guess crushed, and she starts to like tear. Um, and then in the next panel over, right right when he's getting shot, his eyes all of a sudden, that same eye has been hit with something or is like steaming. I I I, yep. I I don't know if it's like uh any sort of like artistic like jump off. I I don't see him get hurt anywhere in his eye previously. So I was just curious about that. I don't know if there's oh, anything I see there. what you're saying. Um, no, even in the uh in the on the prior page, his eye is smoky. Yeah, but he doesn't get hit any at any point. He does. I, I wonder if it's the uh, yeah. it's Superman's oh the laser beam Omega beam thing yeah oh okay yeah I could I can see how uh, you, you could have missed that there there's just a lot going on on those pages too um, yeah yeah you can't really tell yeah. that that's his eye yeah I actually missed the the Superman beam the first time I read this issue that's another really neat concept is giving Superman Omega beams. Uh, Again, it's a drive-by. We don't get to play with it very much. Yeah. Um, and then, like, like every page, I feel like, introduces a new concept or does something insane. Like, on the on the next page, yeah. from o- over from that, Lex has this, you know, this, um, this ball that has, uh, what is it, Metropolis in it? No, it has the Batcastle. Right, it's it has, Gotham. Yeah, it's he Gotham. trapped it in the yeah. Batcastle, so it's Gotham. And he just, it, you know, they just drop it on the ground. Like, that's a pretty cool concept that, that, that this crazy, perverted version of Gotham that's alive would be in this in this ball. And then it's just gone. Yeah. You know, like, all these things happen and then go away. It's just really fast. I like the idea of Luthor modifying Brainiac technology to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Just neat ideas that we have no time to like. Honestly, like the ideas that come up in this issue alone could span a whole run of stories. Yeah, absolutely, they could. And I think this book, like this issue, when you okay, when you think about this issue in conjunction with Rise of the New God. And the news we recently got about the rumor of DC removing continuity, it it feels really it feels like that's what's happening. Like this issue feels like it's selling that that concept um, because yeah. there's the whole uh, what was it? There was like the whole conversation about the knot and like the anti crisis. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, and all that really made me feel like that like death metal is the death knell for continuity in DC. Yes. Yep. Especially um, in, I don't know what page this is. This is 13. 
um, where we're looking at the knots, the, the second panel, it's saying, but Antichrist energy is connective. It unites people through memory and history, reminding us we are all small but part of one epic story built by machine and use it to unknot the timeline and restore everyone's memories. In doing so, you will connect us all to the truth and to create a powerful stream of anti-crisis energy you might be able to use to fight him. Like that, with my understanding, was this is the larger DC universe, and you're all going to get your memory back of everything that has happened, but each of those instances were still small pieces of this larger, not necessarily story, but this larger history, uh, this like one epic story, right, that you're able to knot and unknot and uh basically pick and choose yeah i i i that that was my read as well and i remember something that snyder had said before the book came out he said that he actually went to grant morrison to try to uh to talk to him about how to approach this story and kiss the ring and kiss the feet i wasn't sure why he would need to speak to grant i mean you can kind of see why because Death Metal is like a crazy story. But now that I read, read read this issue, I'm reminded of the fact that Grant Morrison was the one who said, okay, well, everything matters for Batman. So right. how do you approach that? Uh, and then he did, he went on to do that. Well, Snyder's responsible for making it the case that everything matters for all these characters and having to get to the end point of the Omniverse. And I think he probably asked Grant for help on how to spearhead that initiative. It's crazy that that's only like eight years later. Yeah. <laughs> We're back to this. Fuck, man. So, I mean, a lot of things happened in this issue in terms of learning information. This was a very info dumpy issue as yes. it gets us to whatever the eventual endpoint will be for this story. And now is the time where I start to really get frustrated because now they're like, all right, well, here's this thing. You didn't even know that now is going to be able to save the world. Anti-crisis energy, crisis energy. We're going to build a machine. Like all these things that are now um, in motion. Uh, Lobo can make all these copies of himself, which maybe was a thing he could do. <laughs> Never heard of it before, but I'm not a Lobo fan, so I don't know. Um, like all of a sudden, like Luther is going on this diatribe about – how he's you know a small town person or whatever the hell he was talking about like I, I don't know there's just so much that happened in between that perpetuals fighting the 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 man who laughs and they're talking about crazy cosmic stuff and then you find out something that we didn't know before that's pretty big and I feel was glossed over here which is that Batman is dead and he's been dead the whole time yeah yep Yep. Was anybody else confused? Yes. I I don't know. Not so much confused as much as let down. <laughs> like mm. it's just like you know, uh, there's there's no substance to it. It's it's all just you know one liners to get to the next thing. Right. Is what it feels like. Yeah, I uh, I was just like, oh, I guess this is just a Batman, and this Batman's been dead. Okay, moving on. But this is this is Batman, though, right? And I know, but the way the story is making it seem is that well, because whatever. there's so many Earths. Oh, this is just one of the Batman, I guess. Right. And I I 
It's making it seem like things don't matter. Yeah, yeah, totally. Apparently, uh, there were hints and clues to that throughout. Uh, I guess he has a Black Lantern ring, and you can only have that if you're dead, and all. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he he, did, he used yeah. it at one point with uh, Jonah Hex, right? And I just assumed, like Phil said, because of the way this series started, that it was just a Batman. But guess not. Lo and behold, it's uh, Scott Snyder's Batman. Yep. All of that worth it because <laughs> because. Huh. On the second to last page, we get something that is hilarious, which is Penguin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was Penguin climbing up. up a mountain saying, I have a very sharp rock. <laughs> I got such a kick out cool, of Cool, dude. He looks so tiny. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> He's the real king here. <laughs> Bizarro, so not prepared. That means he's very oh, prepared. That means he's ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a very sharp rock. Thanks, dude. <laughs> Great job, Dick Cheney. Oh, wow. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yo, yeah. Oh, no. I shot the Riddler in the head by accident. <laughs> that's a, that's an old old comparison. I never heard that before. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, it's old so, old. Yeah. I mean, look, I I'm just not in on the joke. That's what I feel like when I read this uh, this book at this point. I don't feel like I am getting out of this what I'm supposed to. And it's technically all fine. You know, there's nothing like really wrong with it fundamentally. But I feel like it's too much. And Snyder's responsibility is so large that I feel like the script is um, bending to the pressure. I don't think this is the book that they should have used to try to make the lead into their post-continuity era or whatever. I think this book is mm-hmm. fine on its own. I Like I said, it's fun. I think it's... I don't take it very seriously, so I'm enjoying it for what it is. Um, but if this is the book that's meant to usher this era of DC where continuity is loose and doesn't matter anymore, I mean, maybe that is appropriate because why well, take anything seriously? I suppose... I, I, I mean, I'm also a little bummed out that this is like the swan song for Snyder and Capullo's relationship as it relates to Batman. And Snyder, or Capullo rather, is obviously one of the, the, the best artists in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like he's really had much room to flex. This issue has so many panels, man. Like, every page is just like five, six, seven panels. And I feel like... Capullo doesn't really have this, the the room to do what he does. No. And then the the panels that are one to two, or the pages that are one to two or three panels are completely cram full of every possible DC character right. there's ever been. Yeah. Which is nothing. It's like, I don't know if I was supposed to feel something for seeing 
Johnny Quick and uh, the Ma Hunkle <laughs> Red Tornado and Steel and uh, uh, let's see who else can I name? Uh, <laughs> uh, Liberty Bell, like and uh, I don't know a, a, a Guardian in a diaper, <laughs> like. What's the you know what what should I feel about that? Well, at this point, well, listen, like it's such a nothing. I I know you don't feel anything for any of these characters, but I know you're lying for a fact when you say you don't feel anything for Ma Hunkle's Red Tornado. I know you, I know you felt something seeing her. You're right. the The idea that she would be so glossed over when she deserves a double page spread all on <laughs> her own right. is. A crime against God, frankly. <laughs> this is my favorite page in this issue. It's it's this one here, where you know the 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 Trinity kind of have this conversation and they hug. Like I really appreciated it because it was a small moment between these three characters who ultimately are why we're here. And uh, you know, Batman reveals he's dead and stuff, and Superman is irrever- irreverably changed. And I hate those things, but I like these characters, and I wanted a moment like this. And the last panel is kind of like a picture, um, which I thought was pretty cool. But other than that, I just feel like there's not a lot here for me in this book. Well, it's definitely nice when you're able to have a breathing moment, right? That actually makes it seem like the the story matters. Yeah. But it was four panels. Yeah. Out of a whole book. Yeah. (laughs) Out of out of (laughs) it's six issues and (laughs) five tie-ins in a whole series. This is my final thought. It's a I was way more confused by Final Crisis because I was, you know, very much younger. I wasn't like a DC head, so there was a lot of stuff that I I didn't understand. But I was a DC head. I didn't oh, understand it. <laughs> but that series felt like it had more heart because it had more focus, yeah. and that's what this series feels like it's lacking for me. I can't connect to it because it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like it has focus. Too much. Nice. Yeah, man. That's awesome, Phil. Final Crisis felt... Yeah, I'm holding up an absolute edition of Final Crisis here. This book actually feels like a love letter to DC. Like, if you were to end the entire continuity of DC Comics, like, this would have been a good story to do it. Mm. But that was 11 years ago or something. We should do that as a book club. Oh, I'd like to get that. I've been thinking about it for a while. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's move on. Let's get into our Ten of Swords reviews. Here we are with um, the next three chapters. So 17, 18, 19. And we're going to... Oh, the androids. That was a stupid-ass joke. <laughs> stupid-ass <laughs> joke. That was good. That was good. Wait till we get to Android right. 21, huh? So... Yeah, right, baby. <laughs> look, Which one is that? Uh, uh, you'll hot look hot. her up sometime. Uh, yeah. Is that no. the one Krillin marries? Nope, that's 18. So oh. we're going to start with X-Force number 14. Uh, Benjamin Percy and Jerry Duggan are co-writing this book with Joshua Kassara on art. 
Guru effects. Yeah. Ah, uh, what again? Guru effects on colors. Uh, Joe Caramagna on letters, and for the rest of these books, Tom Muller on designs. So this issue is. Um, Boy, oh boy. Yep. Uh, it continues the trend of very weird contests between the teams. And there's, you know, a whole slew of battles that go down in literally one panel as they showcase the winners and losers of this tournament. It opens with a rematch between Pog or Pog and Magic. Where we learn that Pog or Pog is actually like a little dude inside the body of the Pog or Pog, which is actually a a, a weapon. I mean, it's called a sword. It's it's kind of like a suit that he wears. It's Alligator pajamas. Pog is sword yeah. and whatever. So uh, yeah, it's like sword. Or sword, pog means sword in that language, or right? Arachil, yes, yeah. sucked. Um, I so something that that Phil said earlier, um, in the episode where like, uh, so I I, I read the other just to to catch up and like I, I think the expectation for where we thought this was gonna go like a straight up you know fight to the death. One v ones. It's this is obviously subverting that expectation, and I think um, to trying to understand in trying to understand that and and listening to your guys' reviews last week, I think what what the intention here was to make it sort of like a more classic wacky X Men story or, or X Men to run an event where it felt like they were in the Mojo verse or something. Yeah, and and I think, and it felt like that there's some place that isn't that is trying to, the story is trying to communicate itself in a way that's not serious, but because all of these characters are taking it so seriously, it's diminishing that wackiness, that wacky value. It's it's sort of taking away from the nonsensical stuff. Like Pog or Pog is actually just small dude inside of a suit. Um, you know, we're gonna look at. Uh, one of the other competitions was magic, spell magic, and she spells it with a K instead of a C. Like they're all silly beats and silly moments that, because we're in a fight to the death, all of the all of the wind gets taken out of that sail, and and it's not it's not as enjoyable or it's not as uh, I feel confused about how I'm supposed to feel about it because some of the stuff is just stupid, but other times like. You know, you have to take in all of the people that you've ever killed with, what is it, the the white sword and and Wolverine. I'm like, well, shit, that's heavy. Contrasted with magic, not spelling the word right. That's a good point, Marco. It's atonal, or it's 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 yeah, it's totally not inconsistent. Inconsistent, yeah. If we were doing a romp kind of thing where everything was just, you know. A Mr. Mixel Spit like like adventure of shenanigans, that'd be one thing. And there's a space for that. Those stories are good in their own environment. In fact, a lot of those early Mojo stories in the X-Men were the X-Men having to do with things that didn't make sense, were unfair, and they had to overcome it. And it, it those stories worked. 
the fact that we're being juxtaposed with like so much blood and gore and death, especially in the other uh, tennis awards issues we read this weekend, versus the nature of this competition of of it being so silly, they it don't work in the same book. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on board with that uh, that line of thinking. Mojo, who of course does get referenced in this issue. I'm not sure if yeah. we're supposed to take that as a tease or, you know, just his commentary on what's going on um, is crazy. And he's supposed to be like a, a very huge leap, but an allegory of television executives. And right. you understand what he's about. Saturnine is not that. She presents herself in a way that this is not what you expect from her. And when you think about... You're supposed to take her seriously. Yeah, I thought I thought we were. Um, and then there's a dance contest in this book. You know, it's just, it's just... It doesn't make sense. And it's, you know, it's super frustrating. And no one's calling her on this. Like, the characters don't seem to be that phased by the fact that this doesn't make sense. And magic, yeah, for yeah. example, in, in what Marco brought up where she misspells the word magic. Uh, okay, so the fate of the world is on the line and you want to be cute. <laughs> to be fair, isn't she Russian? Yeah. But she speaks great English, bro. But also... That doesn't mean she spells ah, great English. But also, like... But also, there are spellings of magic with a K. Come on, uh, you guys know that... She, she knew what that was, and she was just doing it because that's how her name is spelled. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, that's the other thing with the Mojo stories and stories like that. You know, I brought up Mr. Mitchell Spit. Like, our point of entry characters constantly point out how this is not the way things are supposed to be or should be. They're pointing out, along with the reader, that this is not normal. Right, uh, characters never seem to react in Ten of Swords to the uh, absurdities that are taking place. Everything's accepted on face value. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. But I I actually will say there were a few moments in this issue that I I did like. Uh, for me, it wasn't all bad. So uh, the sequence with Captain Britain and Redwood. Uh, Red Root, sorry. I really liked... I mean, it was dumb, right? That they, they're just having a race. But um, Red Root as a character, I felt like really shined in this sequence. I felt for her. And for the first time, I actually wanted to see one of the Araki win. Uh, or I guess I didn't want to see her win, but like I was kind of rooting for her because she was like, I huh. feel the wind in rooting. my leaves and she's moving so slow and you know that. Um, but she says, when when Saturnine announces her as the winner, she says, I won, but I've never won anything before. And I felt something. Um, and that was cool. And then it, that made it all the more devastating when Jim Jaspers, the piece of garbage that he is, locked her away. Because she broke that that um, that item, 
Um, so that was a good. That, I thought that was a that was a good character moment. Marco brought up the white sword and Wolverine moment where they have to look at all of the 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 people that they've killed, and Wolverine couldn't deal with it. He looked away or he blinked. Uh, that was great. Um, Gorgon running into the water <laughs> after the yeah, that was good. <laughs> the the rock sirens that was hilarious. Um, my dude was ready. Yeah, he he totally was. Um, and then the fight between Death and Storm was legitimately good. That was what I want this book to be. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah, mm-hmm. but again. It was frustrating that that was the only one of those types of things that we got, you know, like a real fight. Exactly. Well, and it's and we'll get to this in the the other two reviews, but it it, it's wild that it like it felt like a gear shifted. And now all of a sudden we're fighting with swords and things matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it. It 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 felt like it was wacky and weird, and then oh, now it's serious. Right. It definitely didn't fit with um, last week's books. That's for sure. Yeah. And the score is so lopsided in this issue, seventeen to six. That by the end of it, I was like, okay, so what? What bullshit are they going to pull? To get us to the point yeah. where things are not that way, and of course we'll have the answer to that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> Prepare to not be satisfied, <laughs> listeners. Uh, from an art perspective, I felt like this issue was all right. I don't think I like Kasara's style too too much. It works in spots, but the faces, they, they, everything looks a little bit. I, I can't think of a better word than plastic, like. I don't know. They're just not working for me too, too much. Uh, yeah. There's some, like, form issues. I think, yeah. like, uh, one of the things I noticed was uh, Captain Britain. I mean, Avalon over here. He, like, his body proportion looks a little yeah, off or weird. something. Like, his legs weird. His body's small and squat. I don't know. There, there were small, like, things around. I actually kind of like uh, some of the faces. Um like there was one actually i think in that same page or the previous one over here uh where uh what's her face saturnine's like walking in and stuff it kind of reminded me of like a like the the quietly sort of like uh, his like roundedness face or something but i mean there were like there were hits and misses but yeah i I kind of agree overall they were like it was it was fine the the art was was um it wasn't exceptional, but it was it was serviceable. I really like the colors. Though. That's what I was going to say. The yeah, the the page with death and storm, for instance, the color of the red night sky with like the red the black sun, just gorgeous colors. And the next page with like the weird Baraka looking ghouls, uh, like the, the the shading of the blues on Saturnine's chair, just. Uh, just a beautifully colored book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it wins on that front. Uh, and I gotta, I gotta be honest. Um, the concept of Storm beating Death in that battle just doesn't ring true for me. 
and that's something that has frustrated me throughout is that the Iraqi seem like goons. They they're not yeah they're not powerful. They uh-huh. lose when when it when it's fair they they lose every time, and that wasn't even the fair. Storm was was uh, depowered by the drink. And she still beat him. And he's supposed to be this battle-hardened mutant who's been alive for all this time, centuries, and fought in wars and everything. And he's just a joke. He gets, he gets punked. punked by someone who yeah. didn't even have their powers. She so breaks two his things. sword. Two things. Uh, the one Iraqi guy, uh, she she's not uh, punk. She, whatever her, her name is. The one that... Oh, no, the one so that was... Catching all the cups and stuff in the dinner issue. Oh, Iska, Iska, yeah, Iska. So she's she she's been presented as a real threat. But the other thing is, Sean, way back a few weeks now, you 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 know you you didn't enjoy the fact that we went out of our way to have our characters grab their swords, and I I defended it with the caveat that this gives us an opportunity to kind of establish our antagonist more. And really, at this point, there's like only two of them that seem matter any, and that's White Sword and and uh, Iska. Genesis and obviously and Saturn Genesis or Genesis, yeah, yeah. So even with Iska, she didn't win against Psylocke, or I, I guess you know Captain yeah. Britain. Saturnine cheated. Why? Why can't? We just see the fight play out. Like I get that it's a WWE book. Game. It's 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 wild. Like if Iska is supposed to be that much of a badass, let's see it. Don't tell me that. Show me that. Okay, she can catch some cups. Let me see her beat some ass. That's a different book, Sean. Oh, nice. But when they have to fight, that one's where's on that book? Shit. It's on Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's let's get into uh, let's get into our next book here. So now we're gonna get into yeah. uh, Hellions number six. This was this was wild. This was very crazy. So this was by uh, Zeb Wells, who wrote it. Carmen Carnero on art, David Curiel on colors, and lettered by Ariana Mayer. So this this was following up on the journey of Sinister's Hellions to try and steal the swords of Arako. Uh, quickly, they're informed by Tarn, who is the other or the the Iraqi uh, version, I guess, of Sinister. That that battle. Oh, yeah. okay. That, that that battle has already started. It's going really badly, and Sinister does doesn't care. That his his agenda had nothing to do with that. He wants to go to Araco to steal the genetic the DNA of the mutants over there, and that's and he brought the Hellions basically to be his bodyguards. That is a good twist in my mind. Because on its face, I thought that that premise made no sense. Now, the fact that the Quiet Council bought what he sold doesn't make sense to me. But that Sinister would want to do this, that does make sense to me. He's such a little he bitch. Um, and I, I actually really enjoyed the Locust Vial. They were creepy. They were great yeah. looking. Yeah. So the Iraqi... 
Mr. Sinister, I was so I was bored with his design. He reminded me of the dude from Return of the Jedi with the weird like penis. Kit Fisto. Like, you know what I'm talking about? No, not Kit Fisto. From Return of the Jedi. Oh, oh, um hid like um Jabba's right hand man. Yeah. No, not the yeah. Twi'leks. Yeah, the Twi'leks. No, the Twi'leks yeah. have they're the slave girls. I'm talking about the dude that had like the weird penising drape. He's also there. a Twi'lek. I think he's, I think yeah. they're the same. Yeah. Are they the yeah. same race? Okay, I'm sorry. I think so. Um that's who he reminded me of. But then when we saw his mutants, oh man. Looks great. They kinda had like the Court of Owl masks kind of thing going on. Mm. Like there's something really spooky about like a white mask with just like with no features, but then like these like haunting eyes behind them. Great stuff visually. Yeah, I love uh, I love Sick Bird because that is a weird name, and I love yeah. Amino Fetus because he is a big <laughs> poopy boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I. I have problems with how zany the Hellions book is in general. It wasn't as bad here because Sinister obviously doesn't care what happens. So he can be as wacky as he wants to be. But for everyone else, this was a very um, a very real fight to the death. And, you know, they, they barely escape with their lives. And then... You know, we get to the end of the book where we ultimately realize that Sinister had no intention of them making it out of this. And he kills everyone else who lived and lies and tells the Quiet Council that they were attacked and and, and murdered. This was all about Sinister. Yeah, this was this was the best issue of Ten of Swords that we've read in some time. Yeah. The conflict was real, and I felt the dire stakes of the characters. Like, when, Mm -hmm. for instance, Havoc gets his hands cut off, like, it felt permanent. And this is comics. Nothing feels permanent. But it felt permanent in that moment. Yeah. Um. Or Wild Child getting, being like, like, going after them to let them escape and stuff like that that was another thing where you're just like well like obviously this has implications because they're they can't they're not gonna be able to revive him now he's just gone yeah well that's the case with all of them yeah oh 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 oh. well that is the case with all of them but wild child yeah you're right wild child is he's gone 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 right not so wild anymore yeah um the, the stakes felt high for these characters, and that's something that's also been missing, is the stakes yes. being commiserate with how they're like responding. And so that was great. Um, Havoc got his ass kicked. Um, that's what he does best. <laughs> I, I, I really, really thought this was one of the better issues of this entire event. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did I did I miss an issue because they come through the gate beat up already? I think that's just how the time has passed. Oh, okay. That's just because like to set the that last up. the last issue of Hellions was long before uh, even the dinner. Um, oh, okay. In in you know the the other part of the story, right? So, okay. Yeah. Um, 
that that was my impression as well. Uh, one thing that I think might matter is uh, doesn't the horse die? Does the horse die here? Yes, yeah. it, or it gets like left it's, behind or something. It's King, I think it's King Jamie's horse. Yeah. So that that might end up being a problem uh, for them a little later on. Just a little plot thread. But yeah, I I thought this issue overall was pretty strong. It it was certainly a a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Like uh I I think I still felt the same way about the Hellions uh as I did when I read the last issue uh which I, I didn't feel was great. But as 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 we stated, the the stakes here felt real, and it felt really dire. And then at the end, like the turn is really satisfying, which is something that we haven't felt in a while. Yeah. Well, one thing that's unclear to me is how Sinister was able to escape from Tarn. No, that's the um, that's the previous one because remember he made a clone of himself and one of them had to that's go. That's it. Yep, you got it. Ooh. Yep, that's a good point. So that was that was the one waiting and hiding for when yeah. they would come back. Yeah. God, Sinister is such a standout of this Dawn of X era, this Hickman era of uh, X Men. He's been terrific this entire time. <sighs> My immediate thought after resolving that issue was they got to get rid of this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna go in the ground in the middle of Krakoa with Sabretooth. Yeah, this this him and Sebastian Shaw need to go. They're they are pieces of garbage, and they're ruining it for everybody else. But what's wild, and you know, this speaks to the hubris of Professor X and Magneto. Sinister, they they brought him on knowing what he is. Yeah. Just to compile the DNA of, of mutants, which is a big job. But I don't know if he's the guy. He's not trustworthy in any way. No, but they're hubris, man. It's everything Moira is warning about, yep. right? And her logs, these two men. Yep, exactly. So let's get into the last book of the week, which is... Uh, Cable number six. Uh, this is Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto. Uh, so it picks up immediately where we left off with uh, the last book, Hellions, with Sinister reporting on what happened, um, the death of the Hellions, and God, that exchange between uh, Kate, Emma, and Sinister was just so fucking savage. Yeah. <laughs> I just could not. I I read it and immediately posted the page in our group chat because I could not hold that. <laughs> so he, good. He shines here. Like how evil does this motherfucker get? He shows up late to the meeting over a cape, which is consistent. He's been on and on about these capes since mm -hmm. his introduction to this series, and he's just did. He's just you know performed. Perhaps the most, he's probably performed the most evil action uh, since the banishment of Sabretooth. He just, just, he's so sociopathic here. It's amazing. And there's so much flair to him. 
And we have knowledge from Powers of Ten that at least in a prior life of Moira's, when they when when they do this, that Sinister will betray them. We also know that this Sinister is not the same Sinister whose mind was wiped by Professor Xavier and Magneto. So this can only get worse. This is really bad. And he's trying to convince them to close the gate because if anyone is still alive on the other side who knows what he did, he's, he's, his goose is cooked. That's right. I hope it's him. <laughs> I hope it's the other version of him. That'd be so funny. Um, so all the sinister stuff certainly was very effective. And then we get into another scene that I also really liked, which was Bay versus Cable. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. A real fight. That was a good act. Go ahead. Sorry. I, no, that was just that was a good action sequence um and I, I like how they they made it more so about like his uh his feelings about himself and less so the fact that they're in a fight like she she defeated him but more so was just around his pride and and like that was an interesting element to the fight it was his heart it was his heart yeah. uh, the heart like had he been the cable of old, the adult grizzled war veteran that he, you know, that we normally see, had that been the cable that was present here, she dies easy. Um, but because he's still young and cares about people uh, in a way that he doesn't as an older person, uh, he paid the price. They paid the price. And I thought that that was a great way to advance this this character who needs Mm -hmm. some more development for sure. Again, though, the only problem I have with this is that Bay got punked. She won the fight, but she lost the fight, right? Like, she won it because she fought a kid and he thought too much about his friend. And she got by. She escaped. These people are supposed to be the best warriors ever. Why is she losing the cable? Well... It's it's okay, Sean, because the very very well developed relationship between her and Doug, you know, <laughs> that is what kind of saved the moment here. Right. Yeah. So that was a payoff, Sean. That was called a payoff. Uh, of a sort. <laughs> and so now it looks like Cyclops and Jean are going to come over and try to rescue their son. Sure seems like it, yeah. Hey, here's a question. Well, you'll definitely like that. Why um why are they waiting till now to do that? <laughs> well, beforehand, Sean, you know, the stakes were established as being really low, not very serious, like nothing was gonna go wrong. <laughs> so like they thought it's like sending our son to summer camp. It'll be fine. I also feel like this has only been like like there was the night of the dinner and then like the fight and i feel like this it feels to me like this is only about like 3 hours <laughs> well okay any amount of time right if they could just cross the gate and just go 
and influence what happens in this contest, why are they not there? It's just like even the cable aspect of it. Like, okay, fine. Yeah, they want to protect their son. That should not be the impetus for them to go here. If there's the ability to stop this and, and, and make things right, you got to go. Well, isn't well, that I I, good? I was thinking about that with Jubilee, too. Uh, in God, but I guess this was the first issue of the, the fight when she flies in with the dragon. Saturnine, like, takes the dragon and like gets rid of jubilee yeah. like it it seems like she wants absolutely no outside interference yeah yep uh, yeah i think that's the deal here i think that, that kind of fits the plea for help from cable which is i think the idea of most of kokoa showing up or whatever or any other people from kokoa showing up is an act of war or an escalate this, you know, for for all intents and purposes, this, you know, tournament, I think, is meant to, you know, prevent all-out war between, you know, the Iraqis and the Krakoans. So, I think the idea that, you know, people from Krakoa show up on the other side, I think that's would be seen as an act of war. And yet it's going to happen anyway. So, we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah, I, I don't, f- and, I don't feel like Saturnine... I don't feel like Saturn cares about that. She does. She severed the connection between Cable and Scott and Jean, right? But yeah, we're seeing but that at I don't, issue 19 of 22. She, she's, I, she's, I think she's more interested in playing her own game. Yeah, sure seems that To way. bring Arako and Krakoa into the other world fold. I don't think she cares about the war. Because if, if she doesn't get her way, she'll just let them wipe each other out anyway. I also think she's just pissed about Captain Avalon, uh, you know, denying her advances. She's not used to not getting what she wants. (laughs) And been there, guys. I I feel like they're paying the price for that more than anything. And she's being spiteful about it. But then the White Sword and Gorgon are going to fight. And this I was really excited for. Um, and I'm glad that they didn't have them in like a striptease contest because that would have sucked. I want to see them go at it. But White Sword's caveat that he has to beat the 100 swords or whatever they were, his 100. Um, his like servants. Yeah, that was that was cool. I was like, oh, man, damn, Gorgon is not like, how is he going to survive this? And I was very into it. Then I realized that those battles were counting in yeah. favor of Krakoa. So stupid. Why? So stupid. I, I guess because they're deaths. Like the thing is first to the death, but Yeah, but they're not they're not I, look, the yeah, I know. People. Look, I know. <laughs> they um, also counted a misspelling, so like why like why? That's what I mean. This whole thing is so flaccid, and it and it's so we're well beyond the point of stakes even mattering. It's like it's like watching Space Jam, and when they go into halftime, you know the Monstars are up like seventy points on the Tune Squad. Like at that point, the score doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Okay. You're ref- you're referencing a cartoon movie f- 
That's what this feels like. Yeah, but that's a problem. It is. I 100% agree. <laughs> How dare you reference a cartoon movie in this cartoon in this discussion about a cartoon book? <laughs> Idiot. Agreed. Um the story itself, like the I'm sorry, the battle itself is cool. I like if you get rid of the whole concept of keeping track of the score, like the way it resolves it's really good, including at Apocalypse punctuating it by saying, like, that's how a mutant dies. Yeah, that was good. That was a good, like, note yep, right there. Definitely. It's just when you think about it in the macro of the entire story, it's stupid. And then the score is 19 to 19, uh, which is... I don't even understand that because the score was 19 to 18. Oh, Krakoa got the lead. Okay. So, yeah, Krakoa got the yeah. lead from what Gorgon did, and then he gets killed, which gives Oracle that, that last point. And now we're going to see Genesis and Apocalypse go at it. Good thing all the battles before this have really amped up the stakes for this conflict, huh? Yep. What are they going to have? A makeout competition? You're going to have sex. Who can sign the divorce papers first? That that battle log was super frustrating because you, you get like literally an itemized list of all the bullshit they have to go through. And and it I I I did not like that that last piece. Like it was supposed to be like, oh cool, like this is you know everything that's happened, but none of it none of it matters. So why even show it to us? And especially considering if you look at 23 and 24, it goes from 18, 18, 6 to 1919. 19. Like, to your guys' point, like, it's, just, it's, it's stupid. That said, Gorgon, he's the MVP of this tournament. He's the only reason. Yeah. And Gorgon's a cool character, and I feel like they've done a lot of, of build up for him, or, you know, enough to make him someone that I cared about when he died here. Um, which, you know, is he going to become a servant of the White Sword or are they going to be able to resurrect him? You know, a lot of those things are, are murky because we got a lot of dead mutants right now. And uh, a lot of them died on the wrong end. So that'll be interesting to explore going forward. But I just, I wonder if the writers realize how much they undercut their own story. I, I really do. I think all of them are so talented and all these books have been so good up until now, but they took the wind out of their own sails with this. And I just don't see a reason why granted, right? Like, okay. If there were going to be, if the score had to get, it was like first to 20, I guess that's the impression. So if it was ultimately going to get to, uh, 19 to 19, you're not going to have all those battles. That would have been a lot to show. I get that. And if in the end they still wanted to do the Gorgon White Sword battle this way, fine. If all the other battles were legitimate, but you needed a quick way to run up the score, all right. I'll grant you that. But you can't you you can't show me a a, a, a kitten a, a kill kill a kitten battle to get a point. That's ridiculous. That should have sucked. Yeah. And it's like Look at how good this issue was. I feel like Cable, this issue of Cable was really good. I, I think this issue was yeah. certainly certainly the best of the tournament that oh, we've yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Hellions was even a step up. 
And it's like if all the mm-hmm. issues were around this quality, we'd be taught we'd be having a totally different conversation. The problem with these two issues, Sean, is that we still have the issues from last week. Right. Last week's three issues completely cut out the knees of this week's issues. What? Like these issues were good and they made up for it a little bit, but the fact that those exist, you know, again, it's like we're operating on a flimsy foundation. Yeah. They're able to avoid the holes in the floor, but yeah, there's still holes in the floor. I also feel like if Saturnine was going to, like, do this to them, there were ways to do it that would have made it be something to feel for more. Like, if the if the Captain Britain-Isca fight happened later, and, you know, it was a fight that mattered, like, the points at that point were really, you know, tense, they were, it was close... And she cheats for them. And they're all like, oh, my God, what are you doing? How could you do this? And she's like, it's my tournament. I can do whatever I want. And now they realize that they're they're up against a wall. To me, that's way more tense. And it makes things feel so much more important than than this. I just why why did we waste our time seeing them get their swords and all this extra stuff if they weren't even going to use them? Oh, there were keys. Yeah, okay, and, fine, whatever. And and then it would establish the fact that the characters know they're being played, right? Like they would know that this is a rigged game. Like I guess we know that, but like the characters aren't reacting to clearly bizarre shenanigans. Um. Also, want to point out what a dork the white sword comes off looking. He's responsible for Krakoa even tying it because of him just throwing all these dudes at you know. Uh, Gorgon. I actually he comes off looking like a chump because of that. I I don't agree with that. I think he did that on purpose. No, no. no. I think he did that on purpose because he has clearly an uh, an axe to grind with Araco, and they have a long standing mm-hmm. history with mm-hmm. each other. He could have beaten Gorgon at any time. That's the impression I get. Yeah. But he wanted to do that to make uh, Araco feel it. Yeah. Um. Last point I want to make is last week, Sean, you made a point that this uh, this story feels like uh, whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Where, you know, the points don't matter. Every, everything's made up and the points don't yep. matter. That's what it feels like this week, too. Exactly. Can I... Uh, what did you guys feel about this art? Because I had major gripes with it. Go on. With Phil Notos? Yeah. Like I I know him as a more traditional artist, but all this digital mm. stuff, like the the uh, here's a good example, like the fog smudges, yeah. um, it's just a bunch of smudges. Like it's supposed to be fog. <laughs> There's no, you know, you just turn down the transparency on something and it's like, oh, it's fog. Or huh. yo, my dude cannot huh. draw feet. Hold up, check this. Give right, right, so, it to Marco to be the one looking at feet. <laughs> And and he messes up on White Sword's face, so this is you know his normal like oh I'm scary looking or whatever. Then over here looks mad goofy. The doy. I saw that He's face. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> I like the doy. By the way, he Good looks super. He looks super goofy. And then uh, I don't know what's going on with his feet over there. And He's then got triangle feet, man. He has triangle feet. And then hold on, wait. And then if you notice, both Apocalypse and Genesis. And that last page. What's going on there? It's up at the feet. 
Ugh, yeah. I thought LIFO couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I I tend to agree with you, man. Uh, the digital the digital stuff is really a bummer. Um, and then also, I feel like the scale of some of these characters just wasn't up to par. Like I think Apocalypse, they I think him and Genesis actually look tiny on the last page. Like they're 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 not like squatting. Yeah, like they're they're squatting, but like. They don't look big. Apocalypse is supposed to look really big, and he doesn't. It looks like two toys posing rather than, you know, two titans going to battle. Um, and that was that was frustrating. Some of the facial work was real good. But then again, you know, there was other times where uh, it, was, it was a little wacky. Um, you, you know, like, I, I think he did a great job with magic. I think he did a great job showing Cable where we're supposed to feel for Cable when he realizes that if he kills Bay, he's killing Doug's wife. Which, can I just point out how dumb that is? He didn't know Bay until like <laughs> yesterday, and now all of a sudden Cable really cares about killing Doug's <laughs> wife. What fucking bizarre world are we in where that makes sense? Bro, it's second rule, second law of Krakoa. You gotta, you gotta make babies. <laughs> you can't, you can't stop that from happening. And I love that. they have a holy union under our Lord. That's it <laughs> under the good book. God, I love that you both put it through this, like the the prism of how you both process things. Marco's like, yeah, they gotta <laughs> fuck. And Kel's like, Jesus. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're right. That made no fucking sense. It's, uh, this whole fucking thing is I'm I I I am resisting the urge so hard to say it's bad, um, but I'm not having a good time. And it's not bad. It's it's mediocre. And that's the key, right? Is like I'm with you, Kale. The only caveat is that at least no, all of these issues actually had things in them and I'm I'm referring to this week's issues. All of them had things in them that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. A thousand percent this, agree. This week was definitely better than last for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, Big man, it, if if you just treated this the way you treated it in the last two issues for the whole tournament, this would be beautiful. But that's not what we got. So we have to come back next week and wrap this puppy up as it relates to our reviews for Ten of Swords. It will be ending next week. I am excited for Apocalypse and Genesis. I feel like they will treat that seriously. It's hard for me to believe that, you know, that fight, the only one that really had, like, strong buildup, that they would that they would tarnish it. It's happening in X-Men, um, X-Men mm-hmm. 15, so that should be good. Uh, so we're gonna see X Men thirteen again, <laughs> but well, from a different perspective, obviously. Um. So at least Hickman is going to be the person dealing with that. That's kind of cool. Um. And we'll you know we'll we'll know ultimately do they do they land it do they land the ship. Everyone involved is talented enough to pull that off. So my hope is the answer will be yes. But let us know if you guys. Agree with us or disagree. Rammer wrote in and he felt differently. He 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 wrote a whole diatribe uh, on our Discord server about how he's been into this and 
you know, his take. So if you've got a different take than ours, we are dying to hear it because clearly we're missing something here. And, you know, I've checked Twitter and, you know, you know, there's a lot of people feeling a lot of different ways. I will say it's mostly negative, but there are people who like it. So if you're one of those, feel free to write in. You can talk to us about anything we talked about on this week's episode or anything else you've ever heard us do. If you're enjoying our book clubs, which people are finding. Uh, again, we've got a whole host of book clubs out there that we've done. I, I implore you to check the list because, as I've said before, I bet you I bet you there's something on there that you like that we've done a book club on. So uh, go check that out. Of course, of course, go follow us on social media if you haven't done that already. Write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Get us on YouTube where you can leave us a like. Drop a comment, subscribe to our channel, and hit the notification bell so you're made aware of when we drop new content. If you are an audio-only listener, give us the gift of heading over and subscribing to our YouTube channel anyway. Couldn't hurt you. And you get to see our faces. What's so bad about that? And my chest. And Marco's chest. That's true. Uh, which, you know, I, I understand if you want to avoid our YouTube for that. <laughs> And last but not least, you can come hang out with us on Discord. We're all very accessible on there, except for Phil. He's a diva. And you can interact with us and the great community that we are building over there. Come be a part of the pals. And uh, I promise you, you won't regret it. Let's get into the plugs. And we will start with Kale. You can find Pete at loud underscore Pete. He does a Nintendo podcast where they talk about, I don't know, PlayStation or something uh, on... uh, (laughs) Fuck, what's it called? I always forget. Podcast? Loot Pot. Loot Pots. Love that you chose to do the plugs. The show is called Podcast. 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 Oh, it's a show about weed. Great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. No, not Twitter. Well, you can still find me there, but I'm, I'm, I'm not on it. At Toto Into, that's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work at killward.com, C A L E W A R D.com. Because talk to me about Star Trek. Fuck, fuck all this shit. I want to talk about Star Trek. Star Trek rules. Awesome. On the Discord, of course. Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Enemoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about... Uh, I'm almost done with My Hero Season 4, which has been excellent. Oh. Um, yo, Sean, honestly, that's what? An, that's an anime for you, bro. Really? That's I don't like, think he'd like it. No, are you kidding me? Like what? No. What season are you on? No. I finished Season 2. Oh my god! Uh, there's all right, Sean. I like it. I like it. By the way, I no. I want to make that clear. I watched two seasons of it. I don't think Sean will like it. Really? All right. Yes. Well, I disagree. But I, if any any of my hero fans out there, yo, come to the Discord. Oh. I've been enjoying it. It's been really really good, especially the new I, season. I thought he said Arrow, and then he said it was an anime, and I was like, <laughs> Did they change the definition of anime? Arrow, the animated. Oliver Queen anime, dude. <laughs> Um, and otherwise, um, oh, I'm reading Odessa, which is a comic, uh, it's a YA, uh, novel, graphic novel, yeah. and it's all in pink, which is interesting. Um, yeah. so I don't, I, I'll probably share thoughts on that either in the discord or just generally. Awesome. Hmm. Phil. Yeah. So, uh, Sean alluded to our book clubs. Um, we, uh, we have kingdom come dropping in two weeks. Uh, right out of Thanksgiving, basically. No, uh, tomorrow. So be a good one. Oh, I guess it is. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I did wait. a great job with that plug. Oh shoot! I have to edit that. 
Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> I gotta get that shit I done though. <laughs> <laughs> God, crank that out. Um, yeah, uh, I'm actually about to finish uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. No, you're not. You're gonna edit slowly. Kingdom Come. <laughs> yep, that's a, that's <laughs> a good point. Uh, I got three episodes, which is the last three. <laughs> I'll probably <laughs> at this rate. Uh, I'll come back for next Monday's episode and be like, alright, I'm almost done. <laughs> Avatar The Last Airbender. I got sidetracked with a little Comics Pals project that I <laughs> couldn't finish it. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Cyborg Bebop. Uh, you know, get on me to make sure I finish that book club. <laughs> the streets need it, Phil, okay? Yeah. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to share your woes about not getting PS5s and wishing death on people who use bots to buy things on the internet. It's a bummer. With that, we're the Comics Pile signing off. Take care, guys. Bye. Remember, Geiger. Geiger. <laughs> Read it our starts Friday.